0: Good afternoon. Here we have a quiet little motel tucked away off the main highway and as you see, perfectly harmless looking when in fact, it has now become known as the scene of the crime. This motel also has as an adjunct An old house, which is, if I may say so, a little more sinister looking, less innocent than the motel itself. And in this house, the most dire, horrible events took place. I think we can go inside because the place is up for sale, although I don't know who's going to buy it now. In that window on the second floor, the single one in front, that's where the woman was first seen. Let's go inside. You see, even in daylight, this place still looks a bit sinister. Now, it was at the top of these stairs that the second murder took place. She came out of the door there and met the victim at the top. Of course, in a flash, there was the knife, and in no time, the victim tumbled and fell with a horrible crash. I think the back broke immediately and hit the floor. It was its difficult to describe the way that the... the, the twisting of the of the well I it's uh, I won't dwell upon it come upstairs. Of course the victim or should I say victims hadn't any conception as to the type of people they would be confronted with in this house. Especially the woman. She was the weirdest and the most well, well let's go into her bedroom. Here's the woman's room, still beautifully preserved. And the imprint of her figure on the bed where she used to lay. I think some of her clothes are still in this wardrobe. This was the son's room, but uh, we won't go in there because his favorite spot was the little parlor behind his office in the motel. Let's go down there. This young man, you had to feel sorry for him. After all, being dominated by an almost maniacal woman was enough to drive anyone to the extreme of... uh, Uh, Well, let's go in. Well, I suppose you'd call this his hideaway. His hobby, as you see, was taxidermy. Crow here, an owl there. an important scene took place in this room. There was a private supper here. And, uh, oh, by the way, this picture has great significance because uh, let's go along to cabin number one I'll show you something there All tidied up. The bathroom. (laughs) Well, they cleaned all this up now. Big difference. You should have seen the blood the whole the whole place was well it's it's too horrible to describe dreadful and I'll tell you there's a very important clue was found here down there well, the murderer you see crept in here, very slowly of course the shower was on there was no sound and uh,
1: okay welcome to movie night extravaganza i am joined by my co-host j andrew stabby world how's it going
2: pretty good haven't stabbed anybody today
1: oh well you're you're really behind i've stabbed three people and of (laughs) course we (laughs) we are joined by conan neutron the host of uh protonic reversal and the founder of the band conan neutron and the secret friends and I'm excited to announce that we're gonna be premiering his music video, his latest music video, live at the end of the stream. So if you stick around, you know, that'll that'll be that'll be fun.
3: That will be a thing <laughs> that happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it should be most- a Conan the neutron, neutron or something. I should have made an appendation. I didn't think about it.
1: You should have you should have gone with like Conan the foremost or the foremost Conan. Or something, you know what I mean? Like now that yeah. Conan O'Brien's retired, you know, like Alpha Conan. I'm the Alpha although, Conan bitch. He still has his podcast, I think, which kind of <laughs>
3: Yeah, which has friend in the title. Thanks to Pants Load, since my band's Conan Neutron the Secret Friends. Now he's screwing up that's Google result too.
1: Yeah, it's Conan needs a friend and you well, at least you have friends. You're 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 beating you're beating uh Conan O'Brien because Conan's whole thing is that he needs a friend, he doesn't have any friends. Your whole thing is that you have friends, they don't want to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> which is better really i mean i don't know who can say <laughs>
2: forget about
4: it
1: forget about it i like i like that i like that your band name makes it so that you're you're irreplaceable but anyone else in the band really could like, you could just swap them out
3: <laughs> well it's a modus operandi right like i mean unless you're a music nerd you don't really know who the famous flames are even though it says yeah. they're famous in the name it's but you know who james brown is right <laughs> also there's I, a secondary name too which is a secret friend is like when there's like uh, high schoolers and stuff like that where we have a social capital we have like the kids that they they're like the art kids or like the punk kids or whatever and like the jocks don't want to publicly be friends with them but they know that they're cool and they're going to go on and do cool stuff so they're friends with him in secret so that's a <laughs> secret that's a, that's another
1: uh, definition yeah. I, I thought that was where you're going with it, with the original meaning, I thought. But I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, well, that's it.
3: Yeah, and it's also just a big cumbersome band name that I never would have picked if I had thought it was going to be arguing with people in the marquee about whether it was correct or not. It was like, I argued with a guy, in I think it was Chicago once, it was like, who put Cone Neutron in his secret friends. I was like, that's not correct. And he's like, oh, I'm sure it is. And I was like, <laughs> I, but I'm pretty good authority that it
1: is not. And that person was Kenzo. That's why we can't have you and Kenzo. On this <laughs> we, same stream anymore.
3: we're never on the same show at the same time.
1: <laughs> um, Which is right, weird,
3: so, isn't it? I think it's almost like law of averages. You think we would have been at this point, but whatever. yeah.
1: <laughs> um, I I might I might jump onto his stream after this stream because he's doing a soprano stream. But you know, I, I don't know. I was like, I don't know how long this is gonna go. Um, uh, Conan's
3: videos on, so I'll get on for that two and a half minutes. We can <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> pop up. Hey, Gabagool! All right, gotta hey! go. <laughs> Gabagool <laughs> over here! All right, that's that's it. That's my contribution. And Steen,
3: <laughs> <laughs> Sopranos, Forrest Miller down. No, 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 no.
1: <laughs> um, I really, I really like that the ending of the Many Saints of Nork is that it turns into the Sopranos theme song like at the very end of it and i was like at the end of it i'm like oh shit
3: (laughs) i like that Um, too and and um, that's coming from someone that when i very first saw that show i was like this show's pretty good but i don't know about that theme song that's a little like because remember this is like 1999 or something and it was and it was like everybody was trying to sound like massive attack or whatever and i was like oh so they're trying to do a massive attack but there's some like Cheeseball, bro. We'll go this ball. You know, I was like, "Ah, like, oh, this is a dumbass song." And then I was like, "You know, two seasons later, I'm like, this is the best song I've ever heard in my life."
1: Yeah, no, it really, it really grows on you. The other thing is that like um, a
3: fungus. So
1: whenever, <laughs> whenever I go down to New York City, like on the bus or whatever, um, like on the trailways, it takes us through like part part of New Jersey where like that um, like the part in sure. between the city, and so I always like when we pull up to the to the um throughway tolls. I'm always like these are the these are the ones I think from uh from the Sopranos and I get really hyped. But um <laughs> yeah, right You're around
2: like, the time uh that that the Sopranos was on, I was uh I did a music video uh as an extra. I, I drove down to Jersey uh to be in the video and um uh I went through all those same spots that they did in the uh the the thing. I remember uh trying to cross one of those those famous Jersey streets, you know, with like eight lanes uh to get to the supermarket across streets everybody could have water um still dressed up in like my goth costume you know with my with my uh floor length trench coat and and black lipstick and like literally there was a parent at the uh, supermarket trying to protect their children
3: from me like sure I mean uh uh you know what, what, what was the shooting at the time there was there was there, was, there were so few we knew them by name at that time. Oh
2: yeah, yeah. No, this was oh shoot, when uh, was this? 2001 I think. Um, when who, 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 when was the shooting in 2001?
3: No, the Colorado uh this is terrible.
2: No, that that was 99. Yeah.
3: That, right. that was the same
2: year I bought the trench coat. I remember I bought it uh, right before the <laughs> Matrix came I'm, out. i I'm, I'm We got More those to facts the Matrix Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. How the fuck can I, hear I know
2: this, this would have been after to that because because the band who i saw performing i never saw until december of 99 so you know just just you know i got my timeline straight through pop culture um and i only know that because because i have a bootleg of no no he released that as an album yeah i have the album of the live show the first time i ever saw him so there we go
3: well, you, but you didn't know the show yet. You didn't Soprano. So you couldn't do like the Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio Once Upon a Time in Hollywood meme where he's like, "Ah, oh, it's the thing. <laughs> and he's got the drink. That's a great meme.
1: That's a great meme for the internet.
3: I recognize the thing. He's doing yeah, no, it. I,
1: I love, I do like that. The, uh, where he's, where he's watching, he's like, yeah. <laughs> See, All I right. did that so, later
4: when
2: I was watching Sopranos, so, you know, last year for the first time. Sure.
1: We should, we should get into talking about, the famous Alfred Hitchcock movie that um, number one, of course, has the first uh, flushing toilet scene, at least post Hays Code. Um, I, I don't know if it's in general. I don't think anyone's ever been able to like even film historians have been able to decide whether it's in general or if it's just like, I guess part of the Hays Code was that you couldn't have a flushing toilet. So it's definitely the first um, post Hays Code flushing toilet but it's probably the first flushing toilet in any in any at least US movie.
3: Slapping a hysterical woman totally okay, but no toilets.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um I don't know, I have a clip later on of a uh, of a uh, Janet Lee where she's talking about um how um Janet Lee is talking about how um she uh she's like where would anyone have gone to the bathroom in any of these movies before before Psycho came out like since you never saw anybody in an actual bathroom. She's like did they just Never never do it? I don't know.
3: <laughs> They're all like Ken and Barbie
1: dolls. Yeah. All right. It's so smooth, I man. have I have an I have oh, a, we're a better. <laughs> 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 tough I have hey, a
4: tough crowd let me tell you. <laughs>
1: I have a, 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 brief, uh, a brief clip of Albert Hitchcock explaining the, the point of Psycho, I guess. And I thought this is interesting because I, I think one of the most interesting things about Hitchcock, obviously, is the fact that he's the master of suspense, but that also extends to actually like marketing and advertising his own films. Like that obviously doesn't, and I think that like a big problem that I have with um, a lot of trailers and a lot of um, film, I guess uh, marketing now is that they always show you the the best um they always show you like the the best uh parts of it in the actual yeah why watch the
3: movie you just saw it in the preview why bother
1: so i really like the fact that i mean we both watched the the one of the birds like the, the trailer that he did for the birds which was an amazing trailer and and this where he's just giving you a tour of the bates motel and like in both cases he doesn't actually give away anything about the actual movie i mean you know in this you just see a girl screaming and you see him obviously standing over the toilet you don't see like, and he plays with you on that fact. Like, I mean, there's the, there's the really amazing there's this like,
2: character he has like, like, like this bumbling kind of British character that, that he's doing too. Like, like, Oh, that's the bathroom. You know? Yeah. And, and there's like this, this almost kind of like macabre, like, like way he's delivering the lines, but it's also humorous at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really brilliant. Uh, The, the way he's pulling that off.
3: Well, I mean, and- he, he leans into the whole, kind of frame of who people thought he was too of just being kind of like like in the great presenter uh sort of way, right? Like the idea of like, oh, well there was a murder that happened in this. And like it's sort of like vague and like just like leaning into almost the the uh, uh uh um host of a comedy night kind of uh routine sort of, yeah. sort of deal and it's but, similar in what people like thought he was. he was a creepy dude which he's it's not attributed dude a, but kind
1: of the dude. Vincent Price the Vincent Price thing you know like where you pull off like the macabre um presenter role rather than kind of and i mean it, it continues up to hitchcock's films obviously he's in every single one of them at, in at least one spot like knowing that people are going to point it out and go oh that's where hitchcock <laughs> is in that one and this this touches on i think um i mean tomorrow we are I mean, to plug it tomorrow we're doing the player for this is revolution And I think in in the player, there's a lot of similar stuff to that, Um, you know, like like understanding that, you know, film film nerds are going to be talking about this movie for a long time and giving them something to talk about. I think Hitchcock is one of the original people that kind of came up with that idea, like knowing full well that for generations, Mm -mm. people are going to talk about his films.
2: And I mean, even the character like lived on because after he passed away in the eighties, yeah. there was an Alfred Hitchcock presents TV show where they hired an actor right. to play Alfred Hitchcock. And it was the same type of character that you saw on this, in this trailer introducing every episode. Yeah. Um, as it did, did on the original, based on, on the
1: original. Yeah. Hitchcock presents. Um,
2: um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, 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 um, you know, which is a lot of fun to, to actually see this, this, uh, uh, you know the development of this character of Alfred Hitchcock too, um, mm-hmm. before it gets produced on to you know reproduced on the small screen as as a character uh, for consumption.
1: Yeah, and and there's an understanding that as a director you are a commodity, like you're a part of the selling of the film, and a lot, I think a lot of the more auteur directors have tried to avoid that in some sense. Like you know like there's a lot of directors that you can't necessarily find intensive, and and some and some that you can, like obviously like Billy Wilder. You can see him explaining like the process of filmmaking down to the letter, but there's a lot of other directors that felt like, Oh, well maybe my work should speak for itself. I'm not going to do these interviews. I'm not going to present myself a certain way. Hitchcock, there's a whole nother world to it. Like Hitchcock, he really embodies this character. And that's, I think a large part of the marketing. So this is. Yeah. yeah, And it's just
2: weird because like, like just to to throw this out there um, before we watch this, but like, you know, this is, this is also like, like he, he's, almost uh, like uh, a commodity the way like a cheaper director might become a commodity mm-hmm. um but, like like you know and, and no offense to stephen king as the author but like as a director and as a character actor like like you know it, stephen king kind of did the same thing by by creating this this character that he can use to sell his products um but but like cheaper people boring, this boring
1: democrat guy no, I'm kidding. no. No, no, well, not the Lee. no, no. I'm,
2: no, 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 the one I'm, on cocaine I'm, from the 80s. Yeah, um, no,
1: I was I'm I'm kidding. It's just uh, Stephen King's Twitter is just <laughs> oh, has gotten has gotten really out of hand. No,
2: no, but like in <laughs> the 80s when he was like on cocaine, he you was know, like, you know what we need? We need to have a truck with 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 green goblins and Spider-Man on the front of it and it will murder children. And uh, <laughs>
3: yeah aka maximum overdrive and that whole i don't really remember making that movie i was so jacked up I'm like all right but like yeah i mean to a to a certain degree like i said stan lee in the Marvel movies right you look for the cameo oh there he is oh look he's right yeah. oh cool it's, it's like the it's again just i'm gonna make another reference to it it's like the leo from once upon a time in hollywood meme Yeah, there it is. I see it. Yeah,
1: (laughs) and and I think that's what Tarantino was playing off of with you know actors kind of watching their own um, movies on TV and being engrossed in it. But yeah, so this is this is um and I want to talk about this. I have like stuff to say about this one minute um, Hitchcock explaining the plot clip. Your new film is
0: called Psycho. Mm
1: -hmm. Can you
0: tell me something about it? Well, Psycho is my first attempt at a shocker. In other words, it has in its content certain episodes which do shock. In some sense, it could be called a horror film, but the horror only comes to you after you've seen it, when you get home in the dark. But can you be more specific? Is it about a particular kind? Of oh, movie? well, the, the rather broad idea is a, a young man, played by Anthony Perkins, who runs a small motel, about a 12 unit, a rather cheesy affair, really. And in an old house behind the motel uh, is his mother. And she, I'm afraid, is homicidal. He should put her away, but he loves her too much. So you can imagine what happens to the guests at the motel. You once told me that actors were cattle to be shoved about. I wonder if you care to enlarge on that. You mean you want to make them larger cattle than they are? No, no. Well, uh, I don't. That's really a joke.
4: His, you want to make his them is Larger cattle. <laughs> <laughs> like he, that. That this
3: way of speaking, the manner of like, if you actually like, it's, it's so pronounced, but it's so perfect.
1: Yeah. He also kind of. I mean, he kind of stumbles through the words, though. He has like uh Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, so because I, I
2: think, it's,
1: I think it's really fascinating. And I think we can dive into this a little bit more, um, in, in the next clip that I have, but there's kind of, I mean, it's a red herring plot, right? Like you have the first, uh, 40 minutes, you're obviously, um, following around, um, like Marion Crane, like that's, you know, and you think that she's kind of your protagonist or your antagonist, you know, because since she steals the $40,000 and you get really engrossed in the story of, you know, her affair and her $40,000 and, you know, her just kind of snapping and realizing like, I can just take this money. I'm tired of kind of working all the time. I'm tired of being taken advantage by this, you know, guy going through a divorce. I'm tired of being taken advantage by my boss's clients. Like I've just been handed this money. I'm going to take off with it. And then you obviously have that, you know, terrifying um, police scene that yeah. kind of, you know that affected you. And And, you know, you start to really feel for this character because she's not a bad person whatsoever she's actually she's a very charming person she makes a very bad decision I think um I mean if you're looking at it in terms of like what she can get away with you know what I mean like it's not like she's like some kind of career criminal like she steals the money and then gets convinced by Norman Bates talking to him that she needs to give the money back and you know and hope that she can like kind of just smooth this whole thing over and then of course the plot switches she gets murdered and you realize it's never been a movie about her at all. It's a movie about yeah. Norman Bates, his psychosis, his relationship with his mother. You know what I mean? So I think it's really interesting that um, Hitchcock can only really talk about, at least in promoting the movie, the first half. Yeah. I mean, I
3: think like it, it, it's, you sort of think it's like a heist movie. You're right. Right. Like, Oh, yeah. it's a crime of passion heist movie. And let you're like, Oh man, that's going to be trouble.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's like from <laughs> *Dust till dawn, you know? Um, yeah. It, it, it's it's they're they're almost identical. I I mean obviously
1: um I love from uh, Dawn.
2: You know, uh Quentin Tarantino plays uh um Janet Lee, and th- there you go. I mean the the rest it's it's so obvious. Um Quentin just, Tarantino kind of the, plays the, Norman Bates is the border guard.
1: <laughs> no, I mean Quentin Tarantino kind of plays Norman Bates. He's like raping and killing women the entire movie. <laughs> Yeah, Dust yeah, song, yeah but like, a- like
2: the thing is though, is like like that the whole it's part of the red herring. Um but, uh years yeah. ago back in college, uh I got my friend uh sci uh, fantasy writer, sorry, I've gotta get the right genre, a fantasy writer GB McRae, to watch from dusk till dawn with knowing nothing about the plot. And mm-hmm. the entire time she spent watching the movie going like dude, I hate Tarantino films. I hate her. I'm like, trust me, you're going to like this movie. You know, the first half of the movie, I hate this movie. I hate this movie. And then the moment when some Hayek turns into a vampire and starts killing everybody. Yeah. Like, what? This
4: what? is yeah. the yeah. best movie ever.
2: Like, it's like there's all that bouncing across the screen, you know, it just, just, you know, cause it's just a gore fest after that. It's, it's, yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 but it's, it's like this movie where, where like the first half of the movie's like these two bank robbers. It's, it's, it's a heist. It's this yeah. this pretending to be one film and then completely switching genres in the middle of
1: it. From Dust Doll so, is technically a Robert Rodriguez film, though. Yeah, it was <laughs> written
2: by Quentin Tarantino.
1: Yeah, and, no, ri- yeah, no. But and Quentin Tarantino, actually, he also wrote um, True Romance, which is another yes. movie I want to do. But it's oh, interesting that Romance. he's, yeah. Um, it's interesting that he's able to, like, r- sometimes get writing credits and sometimes get directing credits. I always found that interesting about him because... I think his the movies that he writes are a lot different a lot of times than the movie that he movies that he directs that he has complete kind of um autorial autorial creative control over. But anyway, so, besides the point, I guess.
3: <laughs> a, a few things. So first of all, I agree it is like one of the great one of the first great all time head fakes, I guess, within movies where you think it's it's think it's one thing and then it's like BAM. The, okay,
4: the, the red the red herring. Thing.
3: Yeah, the red herring, exactly. <laughs> uh and to the point that uh, if you remember the marketing materials uh they you know said in the marketing materials almost as like a selling point like a make sure you see in the theater and don't tell anyone about it like in a way that you just couldn't do now like i think the last movie they did that with was uh the sixth sense you know don't reveal the ending and it's that's especially hard in japan because i guess in, in japan it's like a, a thing to post the spoilers as quick as you can like it's a status <laughs> thing or whatever <laughs> Um, But I think that's amazing. We danced past the point immediately. So I guess we could talk about Quentin Tarantino. uh, But the cop is so creepy. Like, I think like he would be like if it was done in the modern day, he'd be played by like Clancy Brown or something. Yeah. And I think it's so fascinating because like, even though I I, I saw this movie, I've seen this many times and I haven't seen it in a long time, but I don't remember being quite as wigged out by the cop as uh as a younger man and it, i was just like wow it's like because he kind of sets it up there, like wow what's this this cop is like menacing her kind of and like i guess she deserves like she did a crime but like really does she and like you kind of think again it's, it's like another you know, red herring it sets up so it's gonna be one thing but i think from the grand tradition of like oh that guy is like what's what's you know not the maniac cop was a thing yet obviously but
1: like you know this guy like you know
3: going to go off the rails more than an average police officer would, even though like pretty white woman. So probably. yeah.
1: And, and it seems like, and it seems right. like he is and in her head and in her, her head, it seems like he is like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, cause she's having the voices in, in her head that are like, she's kind of playing out what everyone's saying about her and this crime kind of behind the scenes. And some of it she thinks is kind of funny. Some of it she's kind of self-satisfied about some of it, obviously she's terrified about, but you know, yeah. it's all kind of playing out in her head. Um, as she's, as she's driving. And I really, I mean, they're really beautiful driving sequences. I I think um, throughout these parts, you know what I mean? Like it really makes you feel like you're going along with her for the ride and you're following her. And it's like these long tracking shots and everything kind of fades into itself. And like, it's really, I mean, it's, you know, classic Hitchcock, um, like beautiful filmmaking. Um, But yeah, it, it really, I mean, it is a red herring because you're kind of engrossed in this woman's story. Like, and um, I think that, you know, the fact that the Hayes Code is kind of falling apart is a really interesting part of the story of this movie, too, because, you know, the right. sympathy that you feel with her is obviously something that you couldn't feel at the height of the Hayes Code when, you know, as much as they want to portray some, I guess, villains as or some criminals as sympathetic, the person always has to get what's coming to them. And she doesn't get what's coming to her. She gets, um, you know, like you feel Way sympathetic worse. and then you watch her get, yeah, <laughs> no, you watch her get slashed to death, like, <laughs> Yeah. So it, it's arguably really something this, nobody deserves. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, obviously, but like you know, I, I think that part of the Hayes Code, which which is really always amazed me about it, um, in some ways, is that it's not you know it's not just directing um writers and directors in how to uh treat their characters or what they can and can't do. It's really formulating the story, um, you know, for them, like you know, everyone has to get their due. Um, Everyone has to, like, you know, someone, if someone commits a crime, they have to end up in jail or dead. You know what I mean? If, you know, if society is shown in a bad way, you have to somehow redeem society. Like, it's really telling you how a story can be formulated and how a story can't be formulated. So the fact that this is able to happen just as the Hayes Code falls apart, I think. Um, And it still is enough that the the writer of this movie, who's this young guy, um, kind of adapting a book, that you know was was in heavy therapy there's a whole documentary about the making of this and he was in therapy and and Hitchcock was fascinated by the fact that he's in therapy and was telling him to like write kind of his own you know thoughts about like therapeutic stuff and like he's, he's writing this all down and then he said um like even the toilet flushing scene like he said he wanted to um he said he said something like Hitchcock made him go to the censor and explain the scene and fight for it like
4: <laughs> in, nice.
1: in a in a like uh but, like, in, like, a kind of fatherly, like, artistic, like, I want, if you think this should be in the movie, I want you to go fight for it. Which sounds That's like, obviously, right. Hitchcock being, like, oh, it's not worth it. But, like, the way that the guy explained it in the documentary it was, like, Hitchcock was, like, giving him the keys and saying, like, listen, yeah. if you He's think this parent. is important.
2: <laughs> this is your therapy. <laughs> <laughs>
4: wow
3: well, so, and it's... Yeah. It, I was just gonna say it's. I'm gonna hammer the point home a little bit, and I actually threw a a, a thing to you the uh, some of the original marketing materials for it, which I probably should have given to you before the show. But like the no spoiler policy, that was a big deal because think about it. At the time, people were used to like they come in during like the middle part of a movie and then like see it all the way through and then watch the beginning, and that's where the phrase "Oh, this is where we came in" came from because that was a Mm -hmm. common practice. You know, Joe Dante's talked about this a lot Like, that was a really common practice And before any of our time, right? Although, I, I gotta say, you know, I, I yeah, grew up oh, in Actually, no,
2: no Because I grew up in a, th- oh, there was a, there was a Dollar Theater, Second Run Theater uh, In Atlanta, very famous For a while, uh, they, they mentioned it on an episode of Designing Women, uh, but it was like right around the corner From where I used to live, uh, in, in Marietta um, And uh, they, they actually had that, that That old policy where you can come in And you can just stay there all day so, yeah. so um, you know, yeah, I'd see like, you know, friends of mine from pre-K and kindergarten and, and stuff like that come in every once in a while and they would come in in the middle of the movie. And then I would also see like vagrants come in in the middle of the movie um, because, you know, they could, you know, it was a safe place for them to be. Um,
3: it was it was uh, it was an interesting time.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So when you interrupted me, I was about to say that uh, when except for the fact that since i grew up in this place modesto uh california which is in the central valley it's really hot all summer that like the idea would be like you could just like that go to a uh go to a movie theater and and like just stay there cuz it's it's kind of easy it's got air conditioner right it's cool inside so on that same point like that's it's not uncommon now but it's not as common as it was then so like the whole thing with it was like In the marketing materials, he said it's required that you watch Psycho from the very beginning. And he, too, so much so that he recorded. Now, keep in mind the era this came out, this is 1960. He recorded announcements to be played in the theater to like urge people not to like spoil it for anyone else. And like, it it was like that really just hadn't been done, but he had enough sway so to speak that he could pull that off and i think that's that's super interesting because now we think about like i think nerd culture has been assimilated in such a way that it's kind of a given hey don't pull spoilers that's like a dick move for most people but like at the time again this is where we came in <laughs> right that's like what we're talking about and that was the rule not the exception whereas the the the, the references you're making Andrea, and that also you know me and, you know the dead of summer and 120 degree heat in, in Modesto, and trying to, to escape it—it's like that wasn't necessarily going to be the rule. That was going to be more the exception is of the other way around.
1: Oh, I'm Thank I'm you. just trying to. I'm just, <laughs> sorry, I'm just I'm just pulling up. Um, I'm just. Thank you for up coming to my place. TED talk. <laughs>
3: well, um, and and they they even produce videos with testimonials, uh, from people like saying that like you know. You know, hey, you, you know, you really want to watch this from the beginning to the end. Like that. Th- and that was the thing. Again, like this was part of the marketing campaign. And people were like, what? Why is this picture so important? Why do I have to watch it from the beginning? You know, <laughs> I don't know why they'd be talking like that,
1: but whatever. <laughs> hey, As why, <laughs> <that day. laughs> hey, why, why, why do I have to be there, huh? What's the <laughs> why am I am in I don't
2: understand
1: it. <laughs> I think it's so funny
3: that asking people not to talk about Psycho made people talk about Psycho because it was so unique and interesting. It's such a weird thing to, to be asked for
1: yeah no I, I i agree with that and there's like kind of these documentaries about um you know about the the uh marketing of psycho and he kind of uh turned these he kind of turned movie theaters almost into what it feels like feels like an amusement park thing like i mean he has the recorded um you know the messages but he also has like he had like you know um what that we have all the time now like the stand-ins he had like stand-ins of himself like you know pressing the wristwatch like he had a lot of stuff like that um you know at like in the actual movie theaters as he was uh like before that was was
3: commonplace that wasn't really like a common practice and and now it's of course you know hey well i mean what's the whole thing what's the whole thing about like they have to like the eyes have to look like they follow you around the room wherever you are because like that's like i don't know somebody decided that's what they should do
1: even if it's like a romantic (laughs) comedy
4: yeah exactly
1: (laughs) All right, so there it is. Sorry, it, my internet's being slow tonight, so it took me a minute to find and pull it up. But um, yeah, so they had the next showing of Psycho begins that, even, even like, you know, making sure that you knew when the actual next showing of the movie was. They had, um, the manager of this theater has been instructed at the risk of his life not to admit to the theater any persons after the picture starts. Any spurious attempts to enter by side doors, fire escapes, or ventilating shafts will be met by force. <laughs> The entire objective of this extraordinary policy, of course, is to help you enjoy Psycho more. Okay, of course, that's <laughs> really? what we
2: got to do now. We got to do Die Hard, except it's a dude trying to see Psycho.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and it's the I want to see be- Psycho,
3: but I want to come in 10 minutes late. yippee ki yeah, yeah. And,
2: and like, like Hans Gruber is basically going to be Alfred Hitchcock. Like, you know, <laughs> I need to cook. It'll be great. It'll be great.
1: <laughs> so, so I have this. Um, it's a couple minutes, but I might cut it short. Um, it's Albert Hitchcock uh, talking to Francois Truffaut, and I guess there was this book that was supposed to be released or was released. Um, Truffaut um, uh, interviews Hitchcock, like so. It was a series of interviews that they recorded, and it, it's audio. It's not video, but um, it's Hitchcock talking about the the concept of the red herring and what he was trying to do with that. And I found it really fascinating because it's too – you know. World famous directors uh, talking back and forth about this.
5: I believe that it's a picture
6: or the situation, with the situation, nettement plus que is
5: more important than the story.
6: Yeah, sure. Oui. And
5: it's very beautiful visually.
6: Mais enfin, d'un autre but côté, on the other hand. Il n'y
5: a dans aucun
6: personnage sympathique auquel There's le public peut s'identifier.
5: No likable uh, character with which the public can identify.
0: It wasn't necessary.
5: Ce n'était pas nécessaire. Uh,
0: perhaps they were sorry for the woman at Peut-être the time of her qu'il death. Qu'ils
5: aient un peu pitié de la femme au moment de sa mort. Ah oui, oui bien sûr.
6: Oui mais n'était pas un suspense.
5: But it wasn't a suspense.
0: No, but um well you see you had
5: non, vous voyez
0: you had vous aviez a, a deliberate turn from one story to another.
5: d'une histoire à une autre.
0: In fact, the first en fait, part of the story part was a red herring.
5: C'était réellement un, ce qu'on appelle un, herring. Un, herring. un truc destiné à vous divertir votre attention. Ah, oui, oui.
0: Deliberately, you see, de libérer, in order to heighten the murder,
5: afin le it was necessary
0: to make the, the robbery and, and what happened to the girl
5: uh,
0: purposely on the long side
5: déliberément du côté un peu long, un peu long.
0: To get an audience absorbed with her. Afin
5: d'absorber une, l'audience.
0: of would she or would she not be caught.
5: Avec l'élément de si elle serait ou si elle ne serait pas attrapée.
0: And and the and the that's why construction does contain many deliberations.
5: Contient plusieurs délibérations, des éléments délibérés.
0: Uh, to, to get the, the the certain effects you see,
5: effets, such, effets, such
0: as the murder, le even Même the the forty thousand dollars had to be milked to parce the very end j'ai travaillé
5: jusqu'à la toute fin
0: because the public,
5: parce que le public
0: are looking to see what's going to happen to the money. You know, vous savez, uh, uh, we have to digress a moment
5: to bear in mind
0: that audience are always trying to jump ahead. They're always trying to say ah I know se dire, what's ah, coming." So you deliberately play Alors, upon it. Ouais. And the more detail that goes into the girl's journey,
5: Et plus y a des dans notre the more
0: vie, you get them absorbed in absorbe her problem, in problème, her plight. That's why so much is made of the
5: police.
0: The changing of the automobile.
5: Le de
0: and uh, when the young man tells of his life, in the motel and they exchange views, you see you still play upon the girl's en fait problem fille, right up to that moment.
5: De la, de that fille,
0: she's made up her mind moment, to go back
5: to give the money
0: back. C'est it is possible ça. that the audience est are saying ah, ah bon. this young man ce is influencing l'influence her to change her mind. Mais ce qui
5: est curieux aussi
0: c'est
6: que
5: le film joue also, vraiment sur le
6: mauvais instinct du public.
5: Really plays on the public's bad instincts.
6: C'est jusqu'au meurtre de Janet,
5: Lee. Of, of
6: de Lee. Janet Leigh, on est pour elle. You are for her. On espère qu'elle ne se fera pas prendre, keep on she won't be qu'elle mènera la belle vie avec son argent.
5: She'll lead a good life with her money.
6: Bon, elle se fait tuer, she gets Et nous n'avons même pas eu peur pour elle puisqu'il and n'y avait pas de suspense sur sa mort. For her there was no around her death. Mais dès que Perkins est en as danger, as as
5: Perkins danger,
6: on est pour lui. For him. Vous voyez, c'est vraiment... Euh... On est pour lui jusqu'à ce que euh, jusqu'à ce qu'on apprenne que sa mère est morte. We'll et lorsqu'on apprend que sa mère est morte, died, je crois le public I devient encore plus sadique. The even more Il y a mystère a mystery. et on sait qu'on ne résoudra ce mystère
5: qu'au dépens de Perkins. And Tony Perkins. And so at that moment you go against him.
6: Mm-hmm. Pour la
5: but only to satisfy your curiosity. C'est sure. très impur. Sure. It's very oh. impure.
0: Yeah, but we're here we're back in the peeping tom
5: thing.
1: Yeah, so touching on the the villain that, you know, you kind of root for, um, I think he kind of touches on that towards the end, um, where he's talking about, you know, you're kind of rooting for Norman Bates up until you find out the mother is dead, and Truffaut mentions that, like, as soon, and then you're kind of um, still morbidly watching it, trying to find out what's going to happen to Norman Bates, like, you're fascinated by it, and I think that the concept of bringing out, you know, the worst instincts of an audience is a really fascinating um, idea that they talk about within that clip
3: yeah and i think that you know like i like you're saying uh you end up you're rooting for him like even though he even though this woman was murdered when he's ditching the car you're like oh oh it's not gonna sink it's like you're like actually there's a moment you're like wait a second the hell with this guy like what really like yeah that's
1: a a really amazing that's a really amazing scene and it goes on for so long like it goes on for
3: so long (laughs)
1: yeah
3: i'm still watching that uh,
2: scene right now
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's
2: like
4: and the sound effects are just
2: are just amazing like i just want to put that on a soundboard right every time i take a drink just press that and just have that gurgling sound
4: but i mean we started we
2: not started long.
3: talking about, because of uh Many Saints of Newark, we were talking about The Sopranos. I mean, like, without uh Norman Bates, there would never be a Tony Soprano. There would never be a Walter White. You know, like, it, it was, that was, like, the rise, 1962. And that was the rise of, like, the, you know, not even, like, the anti-hero, but, like, the actual villain that you keep forgetting is, like, oh, yeah, you're villainous, aren't you? And in yeah. this case, it's, like, a little more complicated, but, I mean, it's... it's Well, in this
1: case, he's psychotic, like, you know what I mean? Like, so, there's there's a level of, I think, not sympathy, really, because he literally murders his mother and her, uh ex, like, her boyfriend or husband or whatever, but, like, you know, there's a level of, like, oh, fuck, this guy, like, towards the end, at least, like, yeah. you know, you're, like, this guy is, like, out of his fucking mind. Like, it's, it's more than just kind of, you know, he's going around creeping on women and killing them. Like, this guy is fucking out of his mind. But... I think there's also something so so terrifying about how um charming and innocent and docile or docile he really seems when you first meet him. Like he has that kind of I mean yeah. Anthony Perkins plays it off so well, but he has that like oh shucks, oh geez energy. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah all American <laughs> boy, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. Like a grown-up morty.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, oh, oh man, oh I guess you gotta go to r- room oh room
5: one. <laughs> 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 well, I and, can't
1: log up my mother. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and it's just crazy to think in 1960 that you know that kind of stuff didn't exist. Then you have, you know, I like I you you say peeping Tom, I say eyes without a face come out that same year that in 1960 there was nothing like that. Nothing yeah. that did not exist.
1: Well, so the, the thing about the Hayes Code is I think that um, the, the, the thought behind it was if you show villains in a sympathetic light, if you don't punish villains, if you don't teach audiences right. that, that villainous people, immoral people get what's coming to them, people are going to turn villainous. This, this medium uh, film is so powerful that you know showing people that are villainous, showing, showing society as corrupt is just going to teach audiences that society is corrupt and you can do whatever the fuck you want. You don't have to listen to laws
3: the devil kind will of, leap into your soul
1: immediately yes Yeah. That's, that's- this this movie playing on your worst instincts this movie kind of playing on your sympathies for these characters in some ways at least at times and your kind of morbid curiosity in some weird way i mean obviously no one's going to go out watch this movie and go you know i should kill my mother and and that's that's, that's you know that's a good but-
2: idea you better live <laughs> in my head
4: that's brilliant <laughs> why did i think of this before
1: <laughs> but but it but it does kind of in some ways prove the point that like your worst instincts are triggered by film as a medium at times. You know what I mean? Like our most voyeuristic, our most morbid, our most, um, I guess, uh, sympathetic diabolical instincts can be preyed upon by a master filmmaker, by a master of suspense. Um, so so on that just real quick, I'll just say that as someone that, you know,
3: usually spends a good portion of my time touring and as our mutual friend, Jason miles would also say, to this day, if you see some hotel like off the main drag, kind of set back, you're like, nope, 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 yeah. nope, 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 and this is this is the reason why. It's internalized that much into like the collective unconsciousness that way that like we'd be like, that's a Norman Bates shit right there. I ain't going anywhere near it.
1: <laughs> well, they've also made Psycho Two, Psycho Three, Base Motel yeah. remade. <laughs> Yeah, so I would it had the really cultural really... impact as the original. I mean, come on, let's not get on the low. No, here. but I'm saying they've really hammered the point home at this point. Yeah, we oh, get on. it. He's psycho. It
2: two or three that's actually pretty good. The one where they actually do like the flashback with uh Anthony Perkins. I think I he was think in Psycho a... two.
3: Third... Is it third? It's mm, I don't know.
2: I think it's the third. Yeah,
3: you know, well, let's just not write that one off completely. The mom. Uh, in Bates Motel, I believe is the same actress that plays uh, Olivia Soprano in uh, Many Saints of Newark. If I remember correctly.
1: Oh, Vera Farmiga, yeah, yeah. Um, who weirdly enough seems like she's doing an Edie Falco um impression that entire movie. Like she looks like her, she looks like her, and sounds like her. And it's really, I mean, I don't know how much until she sounds
3: exactly like uh, uh fucking the character she's playing.
1: No, she sounds, but she also sounds kind of like Edie Falco. Like there's something about her, the way she looks and the way that she talks within that movie that reminds me of Edie Falco, which kind of hammers home the, um, the, the the, complex. Yeah. Like the Oedipal, the Oedipal shit that, you know, they're talking about within the Sopranos where it's like, is she really the one? Because throughout that show, obviously they have uh, like one of Tony's gumas. They're like, oh, she was a lot like your mother, but you start to wonder like, was, was it also that like Tony Soprano's mom as someone that was younger, like looked and sounded like Edie Falco, you know what I mean? Like, is that like why Tony ended up with Carmela? And I don't know how much of that was like planned, but I found that fascinating either way.
3: No, I thought that was really interesting too. And, and, and again, I know we're not here to talk about that, but I, I found that I found her portrayal. Like, I know that some of the people playing young, like younger versions of the other characters uh, are catching praise and some of them are catching grief. I thought she did a great job because the thing is, you got to understand like, you know, this character is a toxic personality, right? But yeah, it, like, but like you get to see like, a little bit of like, you know, their interaction, her and the Punisher interacting. And, uh, you know, they're obviously it's not the happiest marriage, but that, you know, there's some moments, but like, I was, like, Oh, well maybe, maybe she wasn't just completely monstrous.
1: But, see, like, you see, uh, you see the Punisher. I see Shane from walking dead.
3: Oh, that <laughs> that's sure. Okay.
1: Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: I, I, I was like, John that's a guy. so yeah. Flundin, right Dolph Lundgren, tell me, Duff in the movie
3: <laughs>
1: no God, I, he's the I, only I, I, good so, I, can't, I can't see that guy in any movie without thinking of shane and the other um the guy that played junior was uh i think ephraim or whatever in in the strain and uh, was uh, in
3: uh, house of cards too yeah no, he's been
1: there? he's been in a bunch of stuff but yeah um his i can't i can't not see him in the strain so it was like a weird like and then but then finally he like convinced me that he was fucking junior although he played junior a little bit like he had asperger's more like more than you know what i mean like it's like his social skills throughout that movie every time he talked like everyone was kind of like huh i don't think you quite know what's going on but all right junior like which wasn't the feeling that i got from um from from junior in the show i I kind of got the feeling that he was like his, his social skills were off because he was a fucking sociopath that like you know, um, was completely out of touch with the time that he was in. Not that he was, like, in the 60s, also kind of out of touch with the time he was in. Like, when when was his time then? <laughs>
3: well, I, So I did like the idea, though, that, you know, he ha- always had, like, a gripe in the show about basically not being the one people wanted to rally behind, the one that people yeah. wanted to be lost, and the one that, like, had the panache and the swagger. And seeing that, like, oh, that was kind of always the case. Like, yeah. he was always in this, always the bridesmaid, never quite getting the respect he felt he deserved. So and so, you I, saw I, I that, like
1: that in the, you saw that in the flashbacks, I think. Yeah, when he was like second fiddle to Johnny in the flat. Which I, one of the most amazing scenes is that they re they refilmed um, the scene where young Tony um, sees the guy get capped at the fair. Yeah. I thought that's was pretty amazing that they remade that. Anyway, besides the point. I, this is, yeah. The only reason scary, it took us uh, on that
3: road is because at Bates Motel, like it's the same, uh, Mother Bates that's yeah. uh, and
2: Tony Soprano kept his mother's dresses and dressed yeah. up as her whenever he whacked people in <laughs> season four and five of The Sopranos, yeah.
1: redacted season. He didn't, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Listen, a mother, a, boy's, sh- a mother is a boy's best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I, I. Did you did you ever notice James Gandolfini's uh, lisp gets worse throughout the the six seasons of The Sopranos? Like when you hear him, the first season he sounds pretty normal. By the end of it, his lisp is so pronounced when uh, whenever he says anything, it's pretty funny. Hmm. There's been like whole Reddit threads written about this. I'm not just like I believe you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I have not um, noticed that. But it's been
3: a while since I've seen some of those later seasons, even though they seem to have it on the television constantly now because of the movie.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, going back, like I forgot Steve
3: Buscemi was on that television show. I was like, "Oh yeah, he's, he he's, plays this he plays his whole character. He's got this whole arc." I totally forgot about he that.
1: Directed a bunch of them too. He directed yeah. um some that of the I best remember. episodes that they did. Yeah. Um. No. So I, I really like the concept though in Psycho, like the red herring, and I really like that. You know, a a, like a big portion of the movie. This it. it doesn't actually really figure in besides the fact obviously that like the sister and and the you know the the boyfriend i guess the guma no (laughs) come and try to um you know find out what happened to her and and solve this crime and find her and and it is interesting that like they're not trying to press charges like you know what i mean because she's like a pretty like a pretty girl and like you know they don't want to see something bad happen to her like and the guy is really fucking creepy so like what you know whatever happened there um (laughs) um it's, so who's buried in
3: uh in in um mother's mother i gonna say soprano motherfucker uh, <laughs> his grave i fucked that up really bad sorry my bad. uh yeah that'll that, that, that scene. Grave. <laughs> <laughs> who, so who's who's buried in her grave you know that that whole kind of like oh yeah well nobody cares moving on you know like yeah just, yeah whatever
1: there's there's so many good lines throughout this movie too um i like I like because like there's two red,
2: you know there's like a bunch of red herrings and the red herring of like the mother being alive is is you know yeah. such a good one too like yeah like oh wait she's not actually dead okay
1: and they well, and they he, beat they, you like, and they beat you to death with it too
2: yeah
3: absolutely yeah
1: like <laughs> they they, for, they throw it out yeah. a
3: lot that like oh she's this oppressive figure he's the one that's like he's the victim here you know like he's in this oppressive uh parental relationship that's like completely toxic and he can't leave these stuff he says, "Take care of her." And it's was like, "Oh yeah, none of that's true." Yeah. And <laughs> by and, the way, and, none of that was true. I was lying. No,
1: but, like, and, but, but even oh, even like God. even twenty minutes I think before the film ends, you're still asking the question: Is the mother really alive? Like. Uh, yeah. Like up and up until the sister like grabs the chair, there's still a part of you like even like knowing the. I mean, you know, this movie's been played so many times. This movie's been talked about so much that I mean, I can't imagine that anybody doesn't know how this movie ends. Considering there's been a TV show, multiple films. You know what I mean? Like the the franchise. Like, like, yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah, but <laughs> but like you know, just statute like, of limitations, folks. Come on. <laughs> thinking about so, it, statute of limitations. but thinking about it like in terms of if this was a movie i was watching for the first time and like you don't you still don't know you know because there's a part of you that thinks that uh he's cleaning up his mother's mess the mother is this evil figure that's murdered this girl he's like so there's still some level of sympathy where he runs in after he murders her and looks around as if because he doesn't i mean whether or not he knows that he's murdered her the the psychiatrist at the end claims he doesn't Like he runs in and he's like, "Oh no, what happened?" and starts cleaning everything up. And he obviously, you know, uh, puts the car in the swamp. And there's that long sequence. At that point, you still think that he's cleaning up the mother's mess. The mother is this evil person that's like stabbed her to death. And And then even,
4: yeah.
1: yeah. And then it gets harder and harder to have sympathy with him because you know, obviously, he's hiding the mother in the cellar. And there's my favorite line in the whole movie is, "Um, you want me to hide in that fruit cellar? You think I'm fruity, don't you?" Or. But, but, you know, even even at that point, because you don't see that she's obviously a skeleton, you don't and and you don't put the taxidermy idea. You know what I mean? Like, so you think that maybe he killed someone else and put her in the mother's grave or it could be that, you know, the mother didn't actually die. So like when the when the cop asks, like, um, oh, then who's whose body is in that grave? Like you don't know the answer to that question. And they leave you guessing that until literally like, you know, Ten minutes before the movie ends, the sister runs up, grabs the chair, and you find out. Oh no, the mother's been dead the entire time. That's an amazing um, point to keep hidden for the entire movie. Like an amazing way, or an amazing you know thing to keep the audience guessing for that amount of time. I think.
3: No wonder there was that big were, campaign to like not do the spoilers, right? I mean, like you yeah. know, you're trying to hold on to that as like a oh my god, like you're not going to be like, oh check it out, so uh, mom's dead and he's actually the psycho, psychos him. Okay, cool.
1: Well, you see the. The mother's dead and he's actually the psycho the entire time.
4: Psycho. Oh.
1: <laughs> so yeah, so I, I don't know, I just I find it fascinating and I think I mean Albert Hitchcock obviously proves again and again that he has the master of suspense um you know title well earned but I think this movie really cinches it up more than anything else he, he makes. Um because the thing that you're suspense like the thing that you feel suspense over obviously isn't her death, it happens so fast.
3: Yeah. And it's shocking. It's it shocking how fast it's just it just happens and it's over. And you're like, oh my God, what the f- what what happened? Yeah. And and to this, like you, you can know what's coming. You can have seen this movie before and still be like, oh crap. Like, cause like that's like where are you the most vulnerable, right? Like you're like in the shower, you're naked, you know, you're not you're only like half paying attention. Like, man.
1: Uh Janet, this Janet day. Lee said that she never took a shower again after filming that movie like <laughs> she, like awesome. there's I have, I, have a, I have a clip where she talks about it um she literally says she never she never went alone in the shower again which you know oh <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> well <Wow>. but um
2: well she works
3: with that sentence
1: so this is this is uh <laughs> this
3: is, a good time let me tell you All right
1: <laughs> this is two different um shower scene uh clips and then we can talk about the the second half of the movie I'd like to talk about in detail, but this is um this is a breakdown of the shower scene. What can you give away any secrets of, of your theory of of scaring people? The psycho shower
0: scene made many women afraid to take a shower in a house where they were alone for years, some to this day. Well, I had um, a letter from a man who said that. Uh... My daughter, after she saw the French film Diapoli would never take a tub anymore because they had a scene with a man coming out of a tub and taking his eyes out. Some horror scene. Yeah. He said, and after seeing that, she'd never take a tub. Now, having seen Psycho, she won't take a shower. Mm-hmm. As a result, she's very unpleasant to be around. So I replied, I said, dear sir, Send her to the dry
4: cleaners.
5: Uh, um, I, <laughs> I was wondering uh, what your theory is of how to make a scene as scary as you did that.
1: Uh, uh, without getting too technical, but a lot of film students are watching because there are a lot of them around the country and colleges. Uh, yeah, the, the average movie I think I've read is made up of about 600
0: separate shots. Would that be true? Well, the shower scene in Psycho uh the knife never touched the body at all Mm -hmm. it was just this fast cutting from one thing to another the knife coming at the camera and so forth actually the property people at the studio made me a lovely torso with pink rubber and it was all tubed inside with blood Mm -hmm. so that if you took a knife and stabbed this rubber torso blood would spurt out immediately Mm-hmm. But I never used it. It was all unnecessary because the cutting of the knife, the girl's face and the feet and everything was so rapid that there were 78 separate pieces of film in 45 seconds.
6: So the sphere came from the putting together uh, yes, later, sure. not, not anything Well, Well, any,
0: anything uh-huh. that you can involve an audience so close, is much better than seeing it from a distance. I think there's nothing more boring than a a barroom brawl in a Western. What do they do? Break up a lot of furniture and a lot of bottles on the shelf. But if you took the audience right in and got an impression of a face, a hand, an arm and feet and everything, you'd involve the audience much closer with it.
7: This is hard for me to watch. Is it hard for you to watch? Yeah. <laughs>
3: but see, is see? Look at this man.
7: Yeah. You see, this is having made the right choice. Yeah. And she knows she's made the right choice. Yeah. And it's washing not just her face and her hair. Yeah. It's washing or her soul. Her soul. soul. Yeah. And and so knowing this, yeah. the audience is almost at peace at this point. Yeah. You know, maybe she's going to go with, with one or the other. That yeah. we don't know yet. Yeah. But now...
3: Now, I'm sorry to ask you to watch this because I know it's difficult, but if we could talk about some of the techniques in it, it would be very interesting. For example, apparently Mr. Hitchcock shot
6: um, slow motion sequences and everything like that to add to the. So we're watching it slow motion here.
7: Yeah, see, you never, people swear that they saw the knife go in the body yeah. and they saw blood spurt out. Yeah. They never, ever did. No, no. What they, what, Mr. Hitchcock did was when the knife went back yeah. and with, with the music, the music was the thrust of the oh, knife. Yeah. Yeah. And as the music and the knife went forward, you saw a quick shot of a tum, yes. you know, or a, a, a here yeah. or a leg or something. And you saw the knife go in there, but you never did because the next thing you saw was the knife coming back out. So you swore you saw the knife go in and it was being pulled back out.
3: What's striking when you look at this in slow motion is you can see a kind of terror on your face. It
7: wasn't difficult. Uh, look, at that. look at that. It's Yeah, you have that apparition. I mean, just the whole idea of it. Because there was someone there who, who was mother. Yeah. I mean, not Tony, but, yeah. you know, yeah, and, know. And there was a knife, yeah. a, a, not a real one, but still. I mean, just think of having something come at you like that. Yeah. And and it doesn't take much imagination yeah. to... to um i mean to lose yourself in the in the in the fear and then in, the, in the in the frenzy and in in the in the, in the complete yep. horror
3: and the, it's the way it's shot that some of it is out of focus look like, look at that that's clearly an out of focus shot and then the knife comes into the foreground and then it goes into focus and it
7: cuts through water. yeah and you can't you cut through the water but yeah. never the skin never the skin never no look at that It's agony. I mean, you know, I mean, you you see it because imagine what it would be. That's why I don't take a shower. And it's true. I I cannot. Is that really true? That really, I swear to you, is true. And it is it wasn't until I saw it, not the shooting of it, because that's done in pieces. It's too difficult. But when I saw it and realized how completely defenseless we are in a shower think about it the water's going you can't hear you can't see because the the, you know curtain or door or whatever is is there and you're naked you're defenseless so you know why would i put myself in that position ever again
4: i mean yeah
1: (laughs) i i like i like the the juxtaposition of the two clips um like where, you know, Hitchcock's like, oh, someone would never take a shower again. And then she's like, me, I would never take a shower again. <laughs> I am the
3: person you are speaking of. Yes.
1: <laughs> um, No, but I mean, it is, it is fucking terrifying. And it's a scene that I think that sticks with you forever. Um, Like even now, I think it's a, a scene that sticks with you forever. Um, And it happens so fast. And you're, I, I think that a big part of it is the fact that there's no sunspot emotionally speaking there's no suspense behind it you're not expecting her to die because you've gotten too invested in her story for her to die at least at this point um like so the fact that she's like agreed to give the money away and there's that whole scene um where where uh you know where norman bates says you know what i think we're all in our private traps clamped in them and none of us can ever get out and we scratch and claw but only at the air and only at each other And she realizes that she's created her own private trap by taking the money. And, you know, it's this like realization like, oh, fuck, like I really fucked myself in this situation. And she's talking to this guy that's I mean, he's definitely awkward, but like in an all shucks, like kind of way and doesn't seem threatening, although it's kind of creepy that he has a whole taxidermy hobby that he's kind of talking about. (laughs) But but it's just birds. Was that more acceptable
3: back then? Because it, it seemed like she's like, oh, huh. But, like, not like, oh, uh, about it. Like, I don't know. Yeah, was, I don't, that just like, was that bigger I back then?
2: I mean, did, did y'all not have grow up with uh, people with taxidermy ta- heads on their walls?
1: Oh, no, I've met plenty of people with. I also live near the Mohawk Mountain House, which they have taxidermy. Yeah, I think if you're in a, yeah.
2: T- t- you know I mean, I, mean, I, I moved uh, from, from Marietta, which is a lot more urban, to Powder yeah. Springs, which um, had a Klan rally when, when I was a kid. That wasn't even my first, you know, that, that became my first Klan rally. I wasn't my last Klan rally I ever saw. Um, but,
1: but, um. <laughs> that makes it sound like you attended. And <laughs> No,
2: no. It was like they, they were like outside the Dairy Queen. And mom's like, started- don't look at them. Don't look at just... them. I'm like, I'm like, what? If I look at them, my face will melt. I thought it was going to be like Indiana Jones. Like, so we drove past. It's was like, okay, you can look at them now. And I'm like, that like started they're...
1: my clan phase. What, what
2: are these clowns? <laughs> what what even are they? Why why couldn't we look at them? Could, shouldn't we laugh at them? Like like these guys are ridiculous. You're acting like we should be scared of these idiots. You know, dressed in sheets. What's wrong with you, mom? Why are you in my head? Get out of my head.
1: <laughs> oh, I thought you were gonna say, "Why are you putting on a sheet?" Stop putting on a sheet.
2: <laughs> uh, her 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 second husband certainly is is truly truly like that, but that's a whole other story. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the show well, just got whole canceled. World. And <laughs>
4: good
1: night, everybody. <laughs> and that's
3: our show, everybody.
1: <laughs> I I can't I can't say anything. My my grandma was uh you know left Germany after World War II and was definitely on her family was definitely on the wrong side in World War II. So mm-hmm. I you know I, I guess I can't really say anything too <laughs> too damning back. But um I I don't know. You know, we we have the families we have.
3: Can can I speak to something that is not any of those things and uh, go back to the point point that Janet Lee was talking about, about like how everyone just swears up and down that like they saw, you know, the blood coming out and the knife going in. What makes this so great is the suspense is so tactile that people have that like, no, that definitely like she got stabbed like a million times and you saw it and it was and it makes you think that because your mind fills in the blanks in a way that like I have massive disdain for certain modern horror things like I call it the saw school of horror, where it's just like, hey, here's all the gore. And it's presented to you in like a new metal sort of fashion, in my opinion, this opinion is a code of neutron <laughs> or this opinions of neutron, not the opinions of movie that extravaganza. Uh, but one of the reasons I love most of my favorite horror movies tend to be like either on the cusp or these kind of uh, movies that are transitional, like uh, that, that they embody several different genres at once, are because I think that's where the coolest stuff happens. And and again, there's stuff we take for granted now that people just flat out didn't see before, like, I guess 1960, 1959, never saw it. 1960, they saw it a bunch, like, whoosh, right there. Yeah. but. But, like, we take it for granted because it's part of culture. now. Like, even this, the idea that, like, you know, there's this person that murders you. Right. Not like, oh, there was a series of events that led. to Oh, I to- take yeah.
1: that for granted every day. Yeah. I assume <laughs> it's going to be a person that murders me. <laughs>
3: I mean, that's when we started thinking about uh, killers. Like, I mean, and, and even like the fact that, like, uh, if you look at the studies done, but like the stuff that led to mindhump. Right, uh, like serial killers,
4: mm-hmm. like the
3: psychology, and that's more like a seventies thing. But like this was kind of at the vanguard of predicting, like as like oh, like and, and granted, the least my least favorite part of it is psychiatrist being like, well, everybody, let me tell you exactly what's going on with Norman Bates. I mean, that part kind of sucks, I think. But like, Gee, so
1: kindly Sergeant Krupke, we gotta <laughs> understand. <laughs>
3: yeah, you, you're you the one that went out, to do different West Side Story. Yeah, right. Which I never caught that. So
1: um but i think no it's he's not officer krupke though he's the he's his boss or whatever but yeah no it's the it's the asshole cop that (laughs) that guy was the same one
3: but the thing is things that we think of as tropes around the genre and around the suspense genre even were created with this movie and i think that you know is it the first slasher film okay well Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, maybe it doesn't matter because it's so far in the popular, popular consciousness that it's just a, a part of um, like human society to a certain degree. Like it lives in that- I mean, if that it's not
1: the first slasher section. film, it's, it's a proto slasher film, right? Yeah. Like, it's, that's it's that's like definitely like really a conversation to, I wanted to- To,
2: to, to the right. Ramones, you know?
3: <laughs> exactly. Is it Rocket 88 or is it you know, The Beatles or like whatever? Yeah, and,
1: and that's a conversation I definitely wanted to end with before we watch uh, your music video, like later on like I wanted to definitely end with the conversation about, is this a slasher film? Is it kind of a, a, a proto <laughs> slasher film? I mean, I, I think that I would say it is a slasher film. And I would say that the fact that there's multiple victims, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Like it's a crazy guy. That's kind of, there's multiple of them. It's a franchise. Like I don't, Hitchcock didn't intend it that way, but that's what it turned into. Who knows what anybody else intended with, you know what I mean? Like these films, I think that John Carpenter, who, you know, a lot of, some people say that, uh, Halloween was the first slasher film, which is bullshit, but like you know, because there's other I mean there's I think also it was the first
2: commercially successful slasher film because they were like exploitation films since yeah. psycho. Um that, that but, I mean this is but this into, was commercially uh, this was also
1: commercially successful. you know what I mean? Like yeah I, So it was Willy I Willy. Mean, Yeah. I, I do think that watching um <laughs> I do think that watching uh, Black Christmas last night was very interesting, because if that if that's considered one of the first slasher films, then that means, like, a lot of the tropes that we see in slasher films, like, you know, sorority girls, obviously, but, like, also just, like, um, I don't know, I wrote down a bunch of them last night that I put on Letterbox, but, like, There's just a bunch of different tropes. Like, you know, the calls coming from in the house was like a big big one watching that. Like, you know what I mean? Like just these, like the cop that doesn't really know what the fuck they're doing and which Psycho has too. But I mean, I think that in in Black Christmas, it's like so apparent that the cop is just an idiot. Like all of these different tropes that, you know, um, add up to the slasher genre are in that movie specifically. And it's funny to see that they were in it from the beginning because I don't think that the formulas changed that much. Um, Same here. I mean, eyes without
3: a face, though, like that's the first body horror movie, right? I mean, like it, it's it's, and that's again things that we take you know for granted right now. Like as fr- as freaky freaky as Cronenberg is, like you wouldn't have any Cronenberg if you didn't have eyes without a face, or Billy Idol.
1: <laughs> it's also true. <laughs> <laughs> but what what you're saying about the tactileness of it, I agree. I also think that as as uh, as Janet Lee says, um. Like the nah, 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 like you know the fact that the, the music itself We're and as Herman. someone that is a musician as, as someone that is a musician, I think you can probably attest to this as well. The fact that the music sounds like slashing, it's slashed. you know ah, what I mean? Like
3: isn't that crazy? Yeah.
1: And and the fact that it almost sounds it sounds metallic, like you know what yeah. I mean? Like like the way that it, it falls in your ears is as if you're being slashed because it happens in such a quick succession um in that moment that like you know you watch the slashing happen and it feels like you are seeing somebody get slashed whether or not you actually see the knife pierce the skin it pierces your ears which is a a fascinating thing because it shows that our senses are all connected in that way and it shows that one sense one sense can be fully engaged the other sense doesn't have to be engaged and our brain fills in the, the gap between the two Absolutely. Um, well, I mean, this is
2: right before the era too of like smellovision. Um, if you remember, like <laughs> like there were, there were actually movies where they would try to like pump uh smells or or uh um smoke into the uh into the theater to, to to uh heighten the, the experience of the of the film. Um I so, can't remember so, if
1: it was wild thornberries or rugrats, but they tried to bring that back for one of the Nickelodeon. Yeah. <laughs> um I remember going to the theater and getting handed a card and
3: was it Matinee? Was it the movie Matinee that I'm thinking of that had the um, whatever?
4: Nobody cares. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't really remember this part. John of Goodman. Yeah, that that's kind of fun. Yeah,
2: but but yeah, no, no. I mean, like 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 they were in the '60s trying to figure out uh, new ways to to um, bring people in, and I don't know if if the 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 um, uh, the violins, which which uh, I believe. Um, I forget exactly what they're called. It's been like the 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 closest instrument to replicate the human voice. Um, yeah. Uh, so something to that effect. You know. Yeah,
3: yeah, and and Bernard Herman, he did uh, uh, like I think four or five different Hitchcock movies. Like he did Vertigo too. Yeah, and I'm dropping did, all
2: these uh, music references, and you're not. So
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: You're not letting me. You keep changing topics. Uh, but but I think what something that's really and again since I've gone on record on the show and others uh, about my critiques of some modern composers you don't hear the <laughs> <Han Zimmer>. <laughs> <laughs> <Friend of> show. <laughs> you, you don't hear the stabbing bit until you get to that scene you do hear the rest da, 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 you know you hear the other parts of like the buildup throughout the whole thing and it's a really strong score oh, but that piece of movie that piece, that piece of film along with that piece of music, like that's up there with like tubular bells in The Exorcist, where you like you mm-hmm. can't think of that movie without having that like a ring, 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 like running through your head.
1: Yeah. And that's a and sign that's not point. even and and that's not even as you said, like that's not even played throughout the vast majority. No. It's just that one scene that you really I mean, all you, you, mean, mean you also man. yeah, or at least that's <laughs> the first time it really comes up. Um yeah. I think that it does, it also does remind me of Vertigo, Um, when it, the original, as she's fleeing, yeah. like the, na, 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 na. that part of it definitely reminds me of Vertigo, um, yeah. and like, the feeling you get whenever, like, you know, uh, whenever you see the heights throughout that movie, like, a, a similar kind of thing happens, so... Um I didn't know that there was the same composer that did both but that makes yep. perfect sense.
3: Yeah, uh, Bernard Herrmann, uh he did uh also uh, Marnie and North by Northwest and uh Trouble Harry too. So they the whole run.
1: I'd like Marnie's one of the few Hitchcock movies I haven't seen and it's interesting because it was done back to back with The Birds. Yeah. And uh and Tippi Hedren's in both of them and then after filming Marnie, which is obviously a psychologically horrifying movie I think, um mm-hmm. Alfred Hitchcock allegedly sexually assaulted uh tippy um oh, really? which, yeah because he was like obsessed with her and was like yeah no is really dark but yeah. um i mean really really dark but like but there's like this he like saw her yeah, so... specifically as a <laughs> <It's> never <laughs> too been, late i've been cancelled and now <laughs> i'm doing right-wing comedy club <laughs> to... <laughs> that's that's
3: the bit. Like all like uh, Alfred Hitchcock going in all the right wing uh talk shows.
1: So this yeah. father
2: wrote me a letter and I said send her to me. I like stinky girls.
3: Cancel culture out of control. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry.
1: Look, look, psycho might have been scary, but the real scary thing is cancel culture. <laughs> <laughs> every day i wake up in suspense will i be canceled or won't i it's Dang. a horrifying life
3: credit <laughs> where credit's due hitchcock was on the all cops are bastards train before most of us were born so that's something
1: well, all right so um something that i learned from the making of psycho documentary which they interviewed his daughter they interviewed the um guy who wrote the script who was very young when he wrote the script um, so there's a lot of people that like, you know, at least at this time, I think it was in the 90s that were still alive, that were, you know, willing to talk to them about the making of, I mean, um, as was, you know, Janet Lee lived for a very long time. So, um, you know, I, one thing is that Hitchcock had lifelong fear of cops, which is something that he jokes about in a lot of those Dick Cavett, because at this point, we've done a, a Birds episode, we've done a Psycho episode. Yeah. So I've, I've watched it and, and also like, you know, I've been watching Hitchcock movies since I was a kid. That was really the first horror director I ever like suspense, you know, like the, the first director in that kind of genre. I remember being a kid and I remember my mom explaining to me the plot, the plot of psycho and going, wait, how the fuck can I watch this movie? Um, but, um, you know, I, I think that, I, I think that, um, I guess something that happened to him was that his parents had threatened him and said, like, you're going to be arrested had a cop, like, pretend to arrest him and take him to a, a holding cell. Jeez. And, and he insisted for the rest of his life that he had been thrown, like, his parents had gotten him thrown in jail. And his daughter in this documentary was like, I don't think he was thrown in jail. I think he was thrown into, like, a holding cell and kept there for a few hours. But it left yeah. him with, like, a crippling Thramatic? fear of cops." cop. Yeah. Sure. So it that that scene is him kind of putting one of his own fears, like... Putting his heart in the sleeve and putting one of his own fears into the film, um, yeah. So I think that that's a, a fascinating because because you can watch that and you can say like you know I think that that's a a, a relevant fear in the sense of like I think a lot of people have it. Like I, I I feel the same way when I see a police car, like knowing I'm not doing anything wrong. I feel the same way as like when I see a wasp. A lot of times, yeah. yeah. Like that that same like like. The weird thing
2: is, they're both white Anglo-Saxon Protestants.
3: (laughs) (laughs) All right, respect. That was solid, man. That was solid. That was great.
1: White Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Um... And we did about
3: five minutes of setup for you, so it hit even harder. (laughs) Uh, So if I I can, yeah. Just so speaking to that point, you know, uh, of course, as a, um, I mean white Anglo Saxon atheist. I Yeah, I'm, you know, supposed to feel some kind of comfort at, at seeing cops. I never have. I mean, and that's part of coming up punk. I think you just learn to immediately distrust the cops. They're not looking after your best interest. They're looking after the best interests of
1: certain people that do not share your values, even if they share your skin color. Yeah, but I, also, I mean, you also have, I think, a, a class background that isn't necessarily like, the, 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 suburb- sure. like, the, the suburban class background. I don't think is something that and it's not something that I really that I share either. Like my like I, I've been raised with a fe- with a healthy fear of cops in general. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, so I, I think that the class background thing is a big part of it, too, that doesn't get talked about enough that like if you're not if you're not like rich or like at least upper middle class like that that fear of cops is still there. Like they're not they're, they're there to defend property for the most part. I mean, not to get too Marxist on <laughs> on my movie <laughs> podcast, but you know, no, like, But
3: like, and suburban ads can still sing along to fuck the police. Sure. But like, it's not going to hit the same way that like, you know, when you're like, no, this is an actual impediment towards not just my life, but perhaps living.
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> like that's yeah, because no, yeah, it's like the police
2: in the cities, not the ones in the suburbs. But yeah, exactly. you know, yeah, I can yeah, attest you. to you. Um, although I did have that really weird experience with the ultra woke cop in the nineties. Um, I uh, we got uh, I got turn, makes, I missed is, a turn. Is
1: that, is that the PC police?
2: Ultra <laughs> so woke. Um, you know, it, this cop sees a, sees a sees guy driving around oh, in a minivan God. with with a uh, long hair. Um, I miss a turn. I do a U-turn in a, like a uh, used car lot uh, parking, you know, like a three-point turn thing. But like the, there's no traffic. It was fine. The cop pulls me over to find out what's going on, right? He sees me, basically pulls me out of the car, gives me like a drunk test, everything like that, goes up to the car and realizes that the entire car is filled with um, a bunch of my friends who are New York Ricans. And he's like all cool with them after treating me like crap because I'm a white dude.
4: <laughs> <He's>, like, <laughs> white cop.
2: And it was just stuff, thought- like the weirdest experience I've ever had. And I'm just like, I I can't explain what just, and they're like, oh, he seemed really mean to you, but he was cool with us. And I was like, <laughs>
3: I thought you were going to say that you did that turn. And then he said, why don't you try that turn again, but make it intersectional this time. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, I it was think, just, I... you know, it was just the weirdest experience that he was just like, so cool with like, uh you know, and, and like, um they had drugs on them um i know this for a fact
3: (laughs) killdozer has a song called the pig was cool
1: so there you go that can be yeah
3: that's that's like
2: that night
1: (laughs) i also like the idea of alfred hitchcock as a guy getting canceled but like the thing he's afraid of is the pc police (laughs) he's like here comes the woke police again (laughs) <laughs> uh, Just in that, that dry, can-
3: yeah yeah that dry
1: cadence yeah <laughs> i've been charged with cancel culture <laughs> no but all right so one thing that i definitely want to talk about in this film is that as a matter of sprinkles in um so there's lines like we all go a little mad sometimes right which mm-hmm. you know are obviously foreshadowing the fact that norman bates is out of his mind but throughout the movie there's also these he sprinkles in um, red herring foreshadowing, right? Like, uh, like the boy's best friend is his mother thing that sounds ominous. Right. Like, you know, like he sprinkles in a whole bunch of different, like we're all in our private traps. You you think that that means that he's trapped because of his mother at the Bates Motel, right. which obviously in the end, he's trapped by what he's done. Um, murdering his mother and murdering her new husband. You know what I mean? So there's all these little things that he sprinkles in as like clues um that like re-watching it i think um you start to realize that like the the red herring part of it it goes really fucking deep um like it's like like writing a novel like the, the way that this is written is almost like a novel and you're reading the novel and throughout the novel there's all these clues sprinkled that don't lead up to the actual end of it which is something that i found fascinating
3: well, yeah, and, and just again, hammers home the point that he wanted the thing viewed as a whole, because I think the setup and the setup, including all the red herrings and the entire ride you take to get there makes the reveal all the more jarring, all of them, all of the reveals. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's something where if you were to kind of take it on face value, as something you could like drop into. And, you know, as we would say now, like the I call it, I, I always tag it on letterbox as the accidental cable watch. Like I'm flipping channels, I'm like, oh, shit, this is on. I'll watch this. Well, and you're
2: like, coming you know, in the
3: middle of it, huh? Yeah, you're coming in the middle or like, it's you know, quarter of the way through or something. Yeah, and I, I do that <laughs> more often than I like to have frankly. Uh, <laughs> but like in that same way, you know, again, again, this is where I came in, right? Like building the sort of like, oh, it's a different experience if you just watch it from beginning to end. And we almost take that for granted now, because I think if you really are committing to a movie and like watching a film... I think people kind of just have a resting state of treating it more seriously than maybe they did. We're like, ah, I'm just gonna go and see a flick. You know, like why is it that? Yeah. Why are you going to that place? But anyway, whatever.
1: Hey, it doesn't matter. I'm gonna go over there and see a flick. <laughs> Movie theater, eh? <laughs> yeah,
3: I got my best girl. We're gonna see a film now, huh? Uh, but, <laughs> but like, but seriously, I think that it is treated overall uh, differently. Like, like it's, it's treated more like, well, of course, I'm gonna watch the whole thing. I mean, even if it's something like. I know I, I'm using a poor example cause I wouldn't watch it, but the Snyder cut or something like, Oh, I'm going to invest myself for all 55 hours of this or whatever it is. I'm still watching like, the Snyder cut right now too. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> it's like the star sinking <laughs> Snyder and you guys, that's what's going on
3: right now. I'm still watching all 17 hours of Dune. All right, let's do it. Uh, <laughs> I still call back to earlier, but the, the cocaine cut. But, <laughs> yeah and i think that that's but but i think that that's uh it builds those stakes it builds stakes the entire time and in a way that like i'm not sure so when i first watched psycho i just watched it as like you know i'm just a kid that likes movies and then i go watch it as like i'm studying to be a cinematographer and i was looking more from the mechanics of it and then i again watched it as like oh i'm just a dude that likes movies again but like now since i'm more somehow more interested in like the storytelling part of it i really appreciate the fact that like God, it's not just like building stakes. It's building stakes. Like there's a mountain over here full of stakes that doesn't go anywhere. Specifically- Trump stakes. <laughs> Trump stakes. God damn it! We have so many
1: stakes. Come on down.
3: <laughs> the best stakes. They're all piled up in a gigantic pile. You'll love it. You've never seen a bigger pile of stakes.
1: Once uh, in a while, you get a. Once in a while, you get a red herring in there, but it's alright. It's alright. <laughs>
3: It adds it's to the flavor, they say the flavor. Uh, the, the um just to take away from the actual pile of steaks that has grown to this mountain that is like the you know the, the Leonardo, oh my god, it's, it's uh, holy I had no idea, but it was there the whole time kind of moment. Yeah. The Trump impersonation really kind of killed my momentum on that, but it's it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody
1: has made no the best
3: stakes. The cl- best stakes are clearly Trump stakes. <laughs>
2: the best pile um, of stakes is Trump's.
3: Yeah. So you should so, bring on that dude that does the Trump impersonation so we can just get it all out of our system in one episode. Just you know he just got signed it. by
1: uh he just got signed by SNL. He he works for SNL now. Oh really? Huh? Oh nice. Yeah. Um good for that. So part. I guess I guess uh talking about the second half, which I find way less fascinating than the first yeah. half of this movie, um, I don't know. Any 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 thoughts on that specifically? I do think that is fascinating to have the uh, private detective character, who yeah. obviously is a staple of noir movies, a staple of he's like a dick,
3: see a private dick, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, he's a bedroom dick, as they said in uh, "Kiss Me Deadly." Callback to episode one. Anyway, well. Wow. No, no, but you know, so I I do think it's fascinating to have that guy get killed off really fast. Um no, he was
2: also like like, you know, uh, since this is a proto uh slasher film, he wasn't a likable character. I mean, he was um yeah. uh he, he was very you know, like uh at, at irritating to to um, uh, Janet Lee's sister and yep. um rude. Yeah, yeah it, it, he just wasn't very likable of a character. So it Nobody made you know, him. No, like, like, like nobody,
1: which is a, an interest like which is a, a, a staple of like noir filmmaking but like nobody trusts the the private detective yeah in this it's case so, so, time, like, you know by the time they start like, to trust him he's dead but but <laughs> like
2: whenever you sin whenever you do something bad you get killed in a uh, in a slasher film and mm-hmm. and yeah. um the two bodies that get dropped in the movie are both people who are not perfect um yeah. so uh it, you know they're not as obvious as like say a a uh uh a slasher film would later become it's like you know uh to the point where like you know final girls is making fun of but but you can see like right. the seeds of it getting yeah. planted in this by having the the two least likable characters and you spend a lot of time with janet lee's character and she was like um you know this big movie star she was like the drew barrymore of the time and this was her yeah. screen
1: um and she's and i mean you can see why she's beautiful and and like you know like a great actress like you know what i mean like really like draws you in with the way like her performance like yeah, you know what i mean like and these, the thing is it's like you know, that what, charisma
2: part of I the reason think. why we don't like the you know the, the talk about the second half is because like um the woman who played her sister and the himbo that she was sleeping with at the beginning like <laughs> they're not interesting characters they're you know like, like you know yeah he's pretty to look at and whatnot but you know and,
1: he's, just, he's there to know. serve a purpose of yeah, the scene you don't you don't find out very much about them you find no, out you he's didn't. divorced and you find out she's the sister you don't yeah, and you know. even
2: that big scene he has at the beginning, it's it's like it's all exposition. It doesn't really go anywhere. It, it's um and, and he's like they're both very underdeveloped characters, but the ones who get killed in the film are a little more fleshed out. I mean, the, the detective is not as well fleshed out as Janet Lee's character, but like you 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 know, because he hits those tropes, we know who he is.
1: Yeah. And and, and it also kind of no just uh just like genre wise you know what i mean like killing off the private detective shows you like this isn't the 1940s this isn't the 1950s this isn't the movie that you know the private detective like somehow saves the day this is a movie where the private detective shows up walks into the house and gets slashed like that kind of that's the (laughs) extent and there's and you know i do think that it's a really amazing scene when he's falling down the stairs when he first gets slashed and then you see him go like this in the background moving behind him but i i know the fact that he isn't as fleshed out i think is on purpose and it's you know he he kind of shows up as this genre representing character in some ways to show you like this like almost like i don't think that hitchcock's necessarily thinking in these terms but i do think hitchcock is thinking in terms of genres and in terms of past filmmaking and he's showing you that like the era of this private detective that shows up this gruff guy that's just like i'm here i'm here to like you know I I'm going to make sure that everything comes out correctly, which, you know, for the last 20 years has kind of been the mantra of these, these movies, the guy shows up and is like, don't worry, I'm here to protect you. I'll show it. Like I'm, I'm the braver one. I'll go talk to the mother. I'll confront her kind of has this whole back and forth with Norman Bates, which is a pretty amazing back and forth. I think like Norman Bates is both somehow charming, but also suspicious, but you know what I mean? Like throwing out all of these red flags, he Finally goes to talk to the mother and instantly gets slashed and falls down the stairs. And you realize, like, this character is not our savior. This character is not trusted by anybody, he's just kind of a dick in both in both senses of the word. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's no
3: not in the Philip Marlowe way, literally.
1: Yeah. He <laughs> just yeah, kind no, of gets
3: pushed down the stairs. Like well, do you think so? Uh, you know, it's very easy to ascribe greater meaning to things, uh, ipso facto, but do you think that was almost Hitchcock's commentary on like that era of filmmaking and that type of predictive
1: character? I mean, I don't necessarily... Like, why have him be
3: a detective instead of just some dude? Well, I guess he wouldn't. Yeah,
1: be no, I, and I think that probably that plays into it. And I do think that the idea that this is like a new, this is almost like a new era. Like Hitchcock is... Because yeah. he's, he's clearly thinking about it in that uh, clip we watched where he's yeah. like, this is my attempt to create like... A horror film, so he's clearly thinking in these genre terms and, and quickly shutting the book on this specific genre. Um, yeah, is you expect,
3: that, like, oh, here comes the gumshoe and he's gonna solve the case and save the yeah. day. Like, no, he, he gets got pretty, he's
1: together. gone, <laughs>
3: <laughs> like, it's cut and dry. That guy's done.
1: <laughs> this is this is the era of the himbo. Let's get it. No, <laughs> I
3: like private dicks that don't get got. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um i don't yeah, why do i keep doing no. that i should stop doing that i really should. Anyway. um
3: can i uh forrest are you okay with me trying that the, the thing i was talking about the, the, yeah no there?
1: for sure um but I, I can't stop thinking now about trump going whatever happened to sunset boulevard whatever happened to- <laughs> 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 no let's let's uh Let's let's do it. I, I wish you sent them ahead of time. I could have had them on on screen. Um, yeah,
3: I, I wish I would have thought of it ahead of time. But yeah, there you go. We're, uh, we're uh, not. are You not, uh do you, have not do you have it on your computer
1: or your? I do. your, yeah. or your phone. Um, so you can I, you can go down to the share. Uh, do you see? Oh sure. See an option that says share. Down at do. the bottom of the screen. your file or
3: share screen. Okay, let me. If you if you share um, your
1: screen, if you share your screen, it should give you an option to pull up the letterbox. Um, okay,
3: fantastic.
1: So, well, I, I'm just gonna do. I'm gonna do it off
3: of the file. For we'll do we'll do it fancy style uh, before. But I'll do um. I'll I'll I I think I have a way I can do this. That that boy. This this well, is well. This if, is we, if
2: we have a few minutes here while while you're setting everything up, why don't I just just really quickly talk the one thing we haven't mentioned because. Um, y'all aren't really care about the visuals, but uh, the brilliant Saul Bass uh, was able to do the title sequence. And he he is like an absolute influence on me, like major hardcore, loved it. So I thought that was absolutely spectacular. Uh, so shout out to Saul Bass for those beautiful title credits. And uh, whatever yeah, else you yeah. got. Yeah, yeah. They're fantastic. They're, they're yeah, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean like, like, you know, from jump, this movie is just beautiful from top to, to bottom. That should give you enough time. You got your tech set up now.
3: Uh, I do. Apparently, I've my I've I'm a, got my permissions locked down so freaking hard that it's it's gonna be interesting to see if I can even do this. Let's see. Uh, okay. Okay. So I'm doing the file. Here we go. All right. So okay. Here we go. Um. Are we seeing Are we seeing the empty screen here? That is I'm not seeing an empty thing. screen yet. Okay. Well. This this may be something I just have to re- I have to read off again. I should have yeah. thought of this. Before.
2: Unfortunately, I'm not one of the uh, the people who can control this. Uh, like I am on Ben's show, so if uh, Ben was off uh, camera doing something, right. Uh, right? Oh, there he is.
1: He can, I, was, uh, I, was, I was. I just ran of the bathroom really. No, um, no, that's
3: fine. I'm, I, I think I've, I have my I have my stuff uh, locked too locked down. I think. Okay, there here we go. We, go. So there we go. I got it. I got it. So these are these are um, so letterbox is, is a is a place for film. It's a a place for this show uh, and for many things. These are some of my favorite reviews that are known as the one-liner reviews. People are like, they're working on their jokes, right? So uh, first one, one of my favorites here. I watched this with my mother. (laughs) Okay. All right. First one. Yeah. Uh, Second one. Solid. 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 Good, good, good stuff. Maybe the psycho is me for thinking Norman Bates is hot. That's so famous.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I saw some pictures of uh, what's his name, and and it was uh, weird because he looked a lot like uh, Harrison Ford, and, and the pictures it was like he was a Western. He did
3: <laughs>
1: interesting. All right, uh, so like, then, I, okay, I can
2: see that. I'm not going to be mad.
1: No, Anthony Perkins kind of um, had a very had a very like you know um, a more dynamic film career, and then chose this and kind of got typecasted after it, which right. is an interesting. You know,
3: which is the opposite of uh, Andy Griffith, who um, uh, managed to be in an incredible kind of Donald Trump before Donald Trump movie, and then he got typecast as well. Andy Griffith, the Andy Griffith show. Everybody's everybody's yeah. buddy. Um, oh, sh- oh, oh shucks! Oh, oh man! Oh,
1: yes. it, it, it's it's me and and Andy Griffith. <laughs>
3: so so on that if, if someone offers you milk with dinner like that's an acceptable beverage you can automatically assume they're mentally ill
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> God, savage 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 uh it's, it's yeah. funny because my my uh my review for i was gonna say i had no for no my my review for this was a one-line review too yeah it's about the
3: toilet but you started yeah. off with that so i'm not gonna do that yeah. one uh so <laughs> One, uh, well, of course, a face in the crowd is the movie I'm talking about where he's a psycho proto Trump. If anyone hadn't seen that, it's brilliant. Uh, it is
4: next a
3: good one, say hey, what you will about Norman Bates, the guy cleaned a bathroom like nobody's business. <laughs> 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 uh, and then, uh, this is my favorite, my favorite review from Letterboxd place for film, movie extravaganzas is on Letterboxd, J. Andrew World's on Letterboxd, Conan Neutron on Letterboxd. Uh, number one, with a bullet. Uh, this is my internet friend, Alexa. The only psycho thing about this movie was the way she got in the shower before letting the water warm up. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> there
2: you and go. Small Dang. text, too. There we go. So nobody can read it.
1: That's the real reason she never took a shower again. Exactly. The text experience. was too small. She, she, that's
3: right after the clip you played. It's like the next minute. They end up cutting that off for time. But
1: uh, Anyway,
3: so that's uh, Letterbox, the place for film. If you're on Letterbox, you should be following Movie Next. Extravaganza, clearly. Uh... Forrest had the review about the toilet. You know, we already covered that.
1: All right. Well, um, I'm going to go to final thoughts right here before we play Conan's new music video, A Litany of Grievances, which is also what I call his, um, his Hans Zimmer rant. But anyway. <laughs> Fair. Um, so, so is this
2: a Festivus uh, song?
3: <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's a it's a it's a i mean it's a fancy way of saying you have a series of complaints right it, it's a, you have a litany of grievances so.
1: oh i thought that was the original name for uh tucker carlson tonight
3: right yeah <laughs> it's gonna say most, most right-wing hosts it is just a very much a long series of complaints anyway right oops sorry it's playing on its own that's right <laughs> That's that's how we get those views baby <laughs> autoplay ah christ i'm on a work meeting <laughs>
1: <laughs> um so yeah so i'm gonna go first to andy uh final thoughts about psycho and of course this is our um our first of the murder night extravaganza um murder night extravaganza, movie extravaganza. so if you want to put it in terms and i'll, I'll go i mean usually i kind of cut it off before i i go last but i'll go last this time and try to put it in some context for this too but if you want to put it in some kind of context that um places it in in the in the realm of um what we're gonna do for this month? That would be interesting. All
4: right.
3: Oh yeah, because there's a whole month of these.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, gotta say like, like this, this really is uh, an important film, not just because of the, you know, the end of the Hayes Code, but because of um, the way it was shot. And and I know I remember like I, the first time I watched it, I was actually turned off by the production looking like it was a 1960s TV show. Um, you know, that opening camera pan of Phoenix was just like. Uh, an episode of dragnet or something like that but if you if you can get past that there uh, it, it slowly builds into a a uh you know beautifully shot black and white film um and, and you know it does start off with those great uh, great greats all uh title sequences which which uh you know some of my favorites right there and uh but you know it really um did like lay the groundwork for a lot of films that came later like uh, and not just the slasher, because you can also point to like police procedurals with that ending. And, and um, uh, we could probably come up with like five or six other genres just, you know, off the top of our heads. Uh, but whatever. The and of course,
1: is, genres it was kind of killing off. I mean, I think you can come up with multiple kind of. Yeah.
2: Because, <laughs> <Right. laughs> I mean, it was kind of him stepping away from suspense. And, and like, uh, you know, birds came later, which was also very like. um
1: yeah, birds was his horror. next. If I'm not mistaken, birds was his next. Either birds and okay. Marnie. I can't. No, I think it was. I think it was birds and then Marnie, and then it was his last two, Frenzy and Family Plot.
2: Yeah, um, which which I haven't seen in a while, but so I can't really necessarily place those. But like like he's he's basically ending the suspense genre and introducing us to to what became the hor- you know the horror genre, but mm-hmm. elevating it in a way that it wasn't elevated before. Um, And and the thing is, is is horror uh, was always just a series of subgenres. And you kind of get this through here where it is just, again, uh, you know, a litany of various subgenres kind of put together in a very unique way, um, which is another uh, almost meta way of of, uh, storytelling, much like Hollywood Boulevard is. Um, So so you have the- Sunset
1: Boulevard. (laughs) Sunset Boulevard, folks. Sunset,
2: <laughs> yes, and, and also while you're at it, there's a great album Sunset on Sunset by FU with a J. Andrew Wilt cover. Um, sorry, <laughs> sorry, the plugs later, plugs are later. We're not plugging yet. You, you
3: built up so much goodwill and you just expended <laughs> it all on that. It? I know,
2: I know, I know, it's so sad. But but Trump would promote himself, so you know, why not? So I, sad. I went full Trump there, and... so sad, promising career. Sad.
1: Said exclamation yeah so this is conan. my last show apparently after
2: that <laughs> and, uh, so so thank everybody for watching this is a great end cap as as this killed a lot of genres and uh, other genres rose up uh, um where it stood and so you know conan and uh you know like his name sake uh will decapitate you and rise up and, and become this <laughs> like kingdom king and <laughs> there we go i have lost the, the, the thread there <laughs>
1: Well, no, I think a lot of another genre that it really um, kind of starts off or, or, you know, I I think that these movies about um, someone who's psychologically disturbed, they don't necessarily have to be a killer, but like it's almost like a psychological profile of Norman Bates. And I think there's a lot of movies after this and a lot of TV shows after this that kind of focus on the psychological impact of stuff on people, the psychological trauma that they've gone through. And, like, kind of act in a, in a similar way to, like, a police pr- procedural. Like, we get fascinated by these serial killers. And I think this movie really, I you know, for, for years, I mean, even as far back as the 1800s with Jack the Ripper, like, this kind of tabloidization, like, long before a lot of other things, not to, not to go full Trump with it, but, like, long before a lot of other things were kind of put into, like, tabloids in a different way. Like, you know, our, our fixation with this, like, sensationalized story of a... Serial killer, or of a, a psychotic person, or you know, these profiles kind of have always inspired the worst in us. I think, I think this movie capitalizes on that too. After this, a lot of do too ripped from the headlines,
3: I believe is the phrase.
1: Yeah, so Conan, final thoughts on this. <laughs>
3: Well, first thought, uh, Andrew, I, I know you mentioned uh, how it was shot. He specifically used his TV crew rather than using his movie crew. And he did that because he wanted it to have a completely different feel and to have it look more, quote, unquote, realistic. So remember, this is this is in the era of you know 35mm you know, film versus, like, you know, television. Oh, it looks so real. You can practically touch it. And it's like, yeah, but does it, though? Mm-hmm. You can kind of see that it's like a cardboard tree. I mean, like, whatever. They weren't really. But and anyway. it's fucking black and white. Exactly, yeah, it's not that real than black and white, bro. But at the time, like that was an aesthetic choice he made to give that film a different feel, and it worked. And it worked in such a way that there's not only it's not only jarring with like the false build and like the red herrings, and the fact that there's a scene that just gets embodied in people's brains the second they see it because it's so jarring, so and so messed up. But just how it looks and how it looks like for lack of a better term, especially then I'm sure like something that could happen. Like Mm -hmm. that's a big deal. And that's, those are all aesthetic choices in the same way that, and I never thought about it before doing the show here of like, Does the private detective get killed because like, yo, fuck private detective movies, you know, like, like maybe, I don't know. That's a very Hitchcock thing to do.
1: Right. Or, or, you know, (laughs) at the very least that this genre is kind of beaten to death at this point. And it definitely. He thought
3: thought, rightly so that like a lot of those types of films were just getting really hacky and like predictable. And he wanted to do something that was so unpredictable. that again, as we adequately talked about the unpredictability of it, you know, was sort of like baked in. You have to see this from beginning to end. Here's all these things we will do to entice you to like, we will like build this up so much that like, it's going to be, that will be a thing that you talk about. I mean, that's from like the great, like almost PT Barnum school to a certain degree, but like, look at like at the times, again, as we've established, there was nothing like this at the time. And the fact yeah. that like, it wouldn't stick in collective unconscious the way it does, if it didn't matter so much, if it wasn't a good movie and ultimately my favorite hitchcock is vertigo uh and and it's it's like a you know i love rear window too there's whatever i would put like when i'm saying top dollar best i put psycho maybe as my third favorite but it's a great film like objectively great i feel and like important in a way that i could see where people would be like oh maybe it's underrated or overrated because blah 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 i'm like no it's either rated exactly right are potentially a little underrated because of everything that came after. And I say that as like I'm not a big fan of the the uh, the, the criminal uh procedural ending of like well, see the thing about him is he has psychosis the blah yeah yeah yeah, I'm getting
1: shit. But like they managed to work problematic where- problematic Hitchcock using transvestite <laughs> the wrong way not <laughs> yeah, not listing Norman Bates pronouns.
3: <laughs> well, and then there's you know like the whole thing Okay, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some out there with the fly lands on him and he and he makes and he like specifically doesn't acknowledge it to make himself seem crazier.
1: And that's how Cronenberg was born.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so yeah, great film. Um, if anything, like I like I said, I got a whole bunch of new stuff out of it, not the least of which is like holy shit, like that cop is fucking that's some scary shit. Uh, but not in the same way that, like, uh, you know, I think I, I probably told the story, right, of the, the original King Kong when they were, um, they were crossing the drawbridge to get to the place. And then, like, King Kong, like, shakes the drawbridge and all the people fall down. And then these gigantic insects come over and devour everybody. Well, apparently they had to cut that scene out because people were like, yeah, man, the, the ape was scary as hell. But, God, those insects. Gee, <laughs> that was really frightening. And then people like, well, fuck the insects. Like, we made the giant ape movie. Like, so they end up cutting that film out because like distracting. <laughs> so, now I'm not saying that like the cop is like that level of distracting, I'm like, well, that's a maniac cop in training over there or anything. But just, I like that like the low key dread of, of the again, the false stakes, Trump or otherwise, over here and the real
1: stakes over here, Trump or otherwise.
2: And those pincers he had whenever he took the license was just <laughs> right out of left field. <laughs>
1: no i i i agree with both of those um last takes i i do i think it's interesting that this movie births so much after it um i do at some point want to talk about the and i don't know when this would be an appropriate time to talk about it but um maybe, maybe towards the end like maybe at the end of the month like the the tabloidization of serial killer stories that is the thing that kind of more than anything else i think births the slasher genre right like we, we are interested in these kinds of stories from a, a, a time long before film comes around long before television comes around long before even like, you know, pulp novels maybe come around. Like we're interested in these things at a time when kind of the stories in the newspapers are hypersensationalized, sensationalized, but like in, in a way that like other things maybe aren't and you know, the, the constant like Jack the Ripper, like they can't solve that story. Like, for, for years, they had copycat Jack the Rippers. They had other stories about Jack the Ripper. Like, that really is the first real slasher story that takes place, right? The same, I mean, the same year that Psycho comes out, Peeping Tom comes out, and I started to watch it. I didn't get through the whole thing today. But, like, it's it's this idea that, like, okay, people, people like seeing that in newspapers. People follow those stories intrinsically. On screen, like, they're going to follow those stories, too. And it's kind of amazing to watch this genre unfold now of course as tabloids get more and more um sensational to an insane level like so do the stories by the 70s and 80s when really you know tabloid tabloid sensationalism is at its height these movies obviously become more campy than they've ever been before but it's it's fascinating to see from the beginning you know this idea kind of be um expressed this way i also think that um, talking about, you know, the way that they kind of did the promotion for it. Jaws, I think, was promoted in, in somewhat of a similar way, like these big movies, like movies as an event, you're going to see an event. You're not just going to see a film. It's not just 90 minutes of your life that, you know, you're sitting in the theater. All of a sudden, it's like almost like a theme park ride. Like you're going to see something that's going to stick with you. This is a memory that you're going to have forever. And the idea of from the minute you pull up to the theater, watch the movie, and then leave the theater, it's an experience. And I think that that's something that Hitchcock is predicting. That's, you know, I mean, I, I, am sure that it's been around before that, like the, the smell thing. I mean, I think that in the 1950s, they had some of that kind of stuff, but like, you know, the idea of it as a, an immersive experience rather than just being um, a 90 minute, like you go to the theater, you watch it, maybe you stick around the theater and watch something else. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, it's now kind of, Fully immersive in that way, and um, <laughs> that shark was definitely a serial killer. But in, <laughs> but it, in a in a <laughs> in a similar way though, that's a that's a story that's ripped from the headlines. Like you know what I mean? Like yeah, the, the Actually, idea was in New Jersey.
2: Yeah, there was a killer shark that was running around.
1: No, I know that's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> it, it's a story that's literally ripped from the headlines. Um, and in a, in another. Similar way, um, when Hitchcock makes The Birds, he kind of predicts that. Like The Birds is really the first of those animal attack movies. Like, you know what I mean? So Hitchcock kind of makes these back to back horror choices that kind of birth in both cases these fucking genres. That number one are not. It's not fantasy at this point. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like not necessarily saying that. Like, oh well, there was a real Norman Bates. But like, you know, the, these things are ideas that have fascinated us for a very long time that he's kind of transforming into a horror subgenre that hasn't existed before. And so I think that this is this is a perfect movie to start this um this Murder Night Extravaganza thing on. Anyway, Night
3: I mean, Extravaganza.
1: <laughs> wait, really really fast just to uh you know just to just to play our Murder Night Extravaganza intro again really fast. made that that was I get me.
2: You, have, you have a synthesizer doing the midi uh midi arrangement
1: no i uh i got that from um like uh i think free domain music or whatever the the website it,
2: it works it works yeah. So, yeah i might be and fun, um but, but and I, love it.
1: I looked i looked up the the documentary about the actual murders that inspired texas chainsaw massacre and i took a lot of those uh those quick things from the actual um the, the actual like documentary that <laughs> that had you know the, the small footage of that guy, but it's anyway. the same,
2: it's the same uh, killer for that inspired this movie,
1: yeah. Um, it's so Gein. do you guys, yeah, Ed Gein. uh, which I
2: think that's the house you're living in right is now, is it, Gein? I, thought
1: it was Gein. I thought it was gain I thought it might, it might I be, Gein. Gein. I don't know how to pronounce anything, so
2: I mean, Let's according begin to, the Ed Gein. I want to know
1: something fucking insane actually. What so, the basement that I'm in right now at my house, um, the Amityville Horror. I guess <laughs> in, in the 70s a cop um a cop took his children and tied them to chairs in the basement of the house that I live in like the the house that my parents bought like they found out from neighbors he didn't kill them or anything but like he, he like like this guy kidnapped his two daughters or something and the basement that I'm in right now is the basement that
2: he did that whoa. Anyway. the week. I got
4: the week my, my, my it sister happen? got married.
2: Um she, she got married on Staten Island and, and um my brother in law uh well, I, I, I was girl, spending,
4: Staten Island. Sorry. yeah, no, I was driving
2: him around really getting him uh, making sure he got everything done uh before the wedding and because they only had one car, so I came down early whatever. So he's just like um he's talking to his brother and he's just like, Hey yo, you know the candy store we used to go to his kids. Apparently, the mob used to take people to the back room and beat them while we buy candy. Can you believe that?
1: Mm -hmm. They say yes. It's sad. (laughs) I do believe that. Yes. You also believe that that ninety-five percent of the people that lived on the island were firefighters. And the other yeah, and cops at the same time. <laughs>
2: oh, and the tailor uh that we went to also worked for the mob and he was always telling stories about the guy from Goodfellas and uh the, and Donnie Brasco and and like you know, all these you know all all these famous uh mobsters that, that he knew uh when he first immigrated to the states, he's just like I don't I don't want to do the business, but I need to work. You know, this is like like this nice little Italian guy. Um my mom went to
1: me. I can't remember if it was middle school or high school but she went with the uh the one of the like bosses of the Gambino family because her family was you know had a little bit of money and they lived in Long Island so like I guess they would the guy would come in with the, like a bunch of goons and like sit down and like watch their school plays
2: <laughs> oh no he used to watch uh he, he used to you know uh, run errands and, and uh, the, the guy uh went
4: oh no! he,
2: he was the bag and business. he's like he's like'' I'm not, doing, I'm not doing anything illegal am I don't want to get arrested and then the, the mobster just looks at him and goes don't open the bag; and will never know if it's legal or not.
1: <laughs> um, one of my one of my favorite things about The Sopranos has always been that um, I like like I've always just loved that they show like Tony Soprano just doing normal shit. You know what I mean? Like his family life and stuff, because like you know no he other like and
2: the, uh, in the, in the uh, pool that happens to everybody.
1: <laughs> but no, like the fact that they show his like normal family shit and they show AJ fucking up and they show like Meadow, you know, like going to college and, and doing well. Like it's all these like little storylines that like, you know, no other show would really show those storylines to that extent. Like no other show would show like, you know, like them at a, like a PTA meeting and then he like leaves yeah. and then he goes and does like, you know, so I've always just thought it, that, it was, that was fucking it was crime. Yeah. It I mean. was amazing. <laughs> all right. So we're going to plugs. Of course, the biggest plug is that tomorrow this is revolution. um You know, Conan and I are going to be on talking about the player, Robert Altman movie. People have spoken. (laughs) Movies, uh, now more than ever. (laughs) Movie. (laughs) Movie night extravaganza. Now Now more than than ever. ever. (laughs) Um, You know, I have to watch it again tomorrow before we do it because I don't know, I I have to watch things like three times to really, you know. That movie is just so full of like It's laden with
3: like references and like, you know, again, as we've established, Leo, uh, those yeah
1: references now more than ever Um, (laughs) but uh conan you got anything you want to plug of course you know we're gonna play your music video so yeah yeah (laughs) yeah
3: Um. Yeah. I mean, just uh, a whole bunch of new protonic reversals coming up. If you know, if you're interested in the music stuff, uh, it's one of the better music interview shows. I am told. So uh, subscribe to it in your normal podcast places, also on YouTube, which I never ever mentioned. And maybe we should have some clips. Hint, 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 Uh, for the show as well. Um. Oh, it's on the things that are not Bandcamp. The Catterwall Society version of Fight Math is up. So if you want to listen to things for free and make sure you don't see a scent from it, uh, listen to it on Spotify. But you know what was
1: my first name for the show? Was it really? Clips. Now more than ever.
3: Clips. Now more than ever. (laughs) 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 Because I Um, I, I
1: over rely on clips sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
3: but a bunch of stuff just happened, but yeah the the uh, video for a litany of grievances off the protons and electrons uh, single series is uh, is up, which I think we're gonna watch now, which is uh, if you like videos and one would assume if, if you are watching and not listening to this, you might like videos, then you might like <laughs> this, and if you don't at least it's short
1: All right, Andy <laughs> quickly before we before we do this and then sign off. Oh, oh Conan no, no,
3: no. on the secret friends is the name of the band. Whoops, sorry my bad. <laughs> It's okay. That's fine. That's fine. Um, I I
1: actually have your website in the description and like, like info to, you know, that would lead people to find you in the description. But now we're doing these types of shows instead of doing panels, which I think works better format wise, because I, you know, I don't think people really want to go watch, like read, like five people's information deep. Like. Yeah. yeah.
2: Pull out the one thing you want. Yeah. no uh, So I got uh book covers coming out. I have album covers out. Um, they're all over the place. So um, uh, coming out in December, which I know pre-order will be soon for Ben Burgess's uh, um, book
1: the, about Dwight Schrute, the Dwight Shrew the Dwight Shrew book. <laughs> just, just
3: False, the Dwight Shrew story. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, somebody, no. someone had a someone had a meme no. about someone had a meme like parodying Ben that was like a a picture like it was making fun of Andy's style of drawing and then it was like Dwight Schrute what he got right what he got wrong
2: (laughs) but yeah no the um uh yeah Christopher Hitchens coming out real soon should be able to pre-order it soon um out now uh last time I heard which which is uh, uh a while ago there were still a few cd copies left if you wanted to get them from uh FU uh, so check out sunset on sunset. Great little EP, um, love letter to, uh, LA hip hop. Um, really, really just a fantastic album. Uh, you know, great, great little EP. And, um, uh, I'm trying to think what's, what's available, um, that, that I've done. Cause I've got like so much stuff. Oh, Dr. De- shadow of the people. Um, there's, a f- uh, like a week left on that campaign. Um, you can order one of, uh, I did one of the, um, uh, the, the the bonus covers so you know check that out um they, they, they were if they successfully uh financed it i know there's some uh, supposed to be some cool stretch goals i i haven't really dug in to see if, what they are but uh the, the, if they're not uh, on the website they should be popping up real soon because uh, like i said they're just about to double what they asked for which is awesome uh so so super excited about that
3: um, i got a stretch goals called getting to this next beer oh let me tell oh, yeah. you <laughs>
1: Um, yeah. I, I, I should say that next week we're going to be doing an episode with, uh, Karthik. Um, we're, we're really, I think we're keeping this, this season of, uh, this month season of, uh, movie night extravaganza a little bit low key. Um, I mean, there's going to be some, some fun streams. Like I'm going to do, um, Tropic Thunder with the left flank bets crew, which is going to be fucking amazing. Ah, next I love that movie. But, um. But so next week though we're having Karthik, I think just Karthik on to talk about the differences between um the original Halloween and uh the the remake and Jamie Lee Curtis. It'll, it should be a really interesting. Oh, which episode. remake? Uh the the no, like one? The, la- the, the 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 latest remake with Jamie Lee Curtis as like the feminist hero. I think it was 2019 okay, or, okay. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll find like, it I'm and just, I'll send it over. To
3: actually it's a sequel that a remake, but okay. <laughs>
1: Isn't, didn't yeah. they remake? Oh, all right. Oh. Yeah, Rob Zombie um, did
2: the remake. Yeah, you're
3: thinking, yeah.
1: Okay. I don't well, actually
3: give a shit, by the way, but I, I felt the need to correct you anyway. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've seen the original, like, the first. Yeah, the original's of, the only one you need. There's there's good stuff
3: in them, but the only one that's essential film was the first one. Yeah, I don't know. The yeah. third one's pretty cool, but that has nothing to do with anything. It's Yeah, but it's, a, yeah, it's a, but a completely different,
1: whatever. What's, yeah. Yeah. All so, right, whatever. so you guys are listening to rock 20 20 29.7 and we have a, a new track for you guys a new video um conan neutron and the secret friends out here with their new track a litany of grievances so ladies and gentlemen without further ado here we go
3: that's right thank you very much It starts off quiet because I'm a pretentious asshole.
4: in these pretty vulgarities If I could transcend the way that I may, may be They'll call the fight but not the victory If you walk through the tears like I'm a lizard you <laughs>
1: All right, thanks for joining us here on Movie Night Extravaganza. We'll be back next week with Halloween, comparing at least some of them. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and tomorrow, of course, Conan and I will be on This is Revolution. Watch This is Revolution. You should have been watching it. Since Let watching me tell this. you a story. Let me tell
3: you a story about you should be watching This is Revolution, baby. <laughs>
1: All right, Uh, well, well, I'm just going to say left is Left is best.